This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cradwell! Oh, Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Phil Smith. Phil started his career with Millwall making five appearances during the 1998-99 campaign. He was released in 2001 and dropped down into non-league, playing briefly for Folkestone before a five-year career at national league level, playing for Dover Athletic, Margate and Crawley Town. Phil joined Swindon in 2006 and was signed by manager Dennis Wise. He was initially brought in as backup for Petr Brezovan, but soon became a regular Phil played for Paul Sturrock, Morris Malpass, Danny Wilson, Paul Hart and Paolo Di Canio during his Swindon Town career. A career that reached over 130 appearances between 2006 and 2012. After Swindon, Phil joined Portsmouth and then moved back down to non-league with Aldershot Town in 2014. I was really looking forward to talking to Phil simply because of what he would have experienced during his town career, going from, you know, Dennis Wise to Paolo Di Canio feels like an eternity. It wasn't that long, in fact, but he saw it all. He was great to talk to. He was brilliant behind the scenes during this, and I really do thank him for his time. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy.
Hello, Phil. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Another goalkeeper for the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. It's happy to be of service, if you like. <laughs> Standard opening question from me is, who did you support when you were younger and who were your football heroes? I've never really had like a, a team that I've kind of stuck with. To be honest, it's weird. My first ever football shirt was a Rangers shirt, so I kind of thought I liked them. And then my brother used to support Liverpool, so just naturally I started liking Liverpool. And then when I was 10 years old, I started playing for West Ham, and then I got tickets to go, and I really enjoyed it. And I started supporting West Ham through my early teens. And then um, I signed for Millwall, and I kind of started sort of looking, you know, really getting involved in that kind of uh you know, with them, because I was there from a young age, you know, 14, 15, just sort of really, you know, felt part of that was part, that was my club for a, for a long time. Um, but apart from that, then, and none of them are really stuck. I couldn't really give two hoots about any of them now, to be honest. Well, West Ham as a team to Millwall as a player, that's quite a brave step. Yeah, but it, that's what I mean. I was never really, like, extremely passionate about it, you know. It's just, I just used to love going to Upton Park when I was young and I felt a part of it all and I just loved the whole sort of atmosphere, the way they treated me and everything like that and it just sort of made me feel kind of welcome and then, yeah, and then just the Millwall thing just sort of enveloped me, sort of the whole, my whole life, you know, was enveloped by Millwall from, from sort of 14 to 21, like, so it was it was hard not to. Who were those those early football heroes? Peter Shilton, obviously, being a young a youngster and a goalkeeper. John Barnes used to love watching when he was younger. Um, and then Phil Parks was the goalkeeper at West Ham when I was there. Um, and then Ludek McCloskey was there for a while. Yes. So I used to sort of look up to them, just being the goalkeepers, the main goalkeepers for the, for the teams that I, the team I was playing for. So a bit weird ones, but yeah, they, they were the kind of kind of people I kind of looked up to. Anyone that's listened to this, as we were talking before we started recording about the fact that I've had a few goalkeepers on here. So I've had Reese Evans, Fraser Digby, Lee Bedwell and Lawrence Vigaru. I always wonder how you guys become a goalkeeper. So were you always a goalkeeper? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's, it's one of those sort of stories where you think to yourself, it's that simple and our life could be so different without it. But literally, because I had an older brother... And he loved football, and he he was an outfield player. He wanted all he wanted to do was go out in the garden and take shots. So I used to go in goal, being the younger brother. He used to tell me what to do. I went in goal, and then we went to the local football team, and they said, "Oh, where does he play?" And sort of jokingly, I think my dad said, "Oh, he's a goalkeeper, aren't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And then that was it. So I've never ever played anywhere else. I mean, for the Cubs and things like that, I had a couple of goes out on field, <laughs> but. Literally from the age of, I don't know, three or four, it just went in goal. And it literally just, just for that reason, just that my brother said, go in goal and it takes me shots. And that, and that was it. Destiny decided. Destiny decided. Now, so I always talk, when I talk to sort of centre forwards and I always say to them, like, so were you one of those sort of insane forwards that used to score like 60 goals in 10 games in junior junior football level? Are junior goalkeepers like lambs to the slaughter? How... How do you get noticed? How do you organise? How easy is it for for goalkeepers to stand out? Do you know, I don't, I don't really know. I was quite well. I done quite well when I was younger, like really young, sort of under eights, under nines, and I was in a successful team the year above. But I never really got sort of picked up for the schools or the counties or young England teams or anything like that. But in that respect, it was difficult to kind of get picked up, and I only really kind of got picked up because it was lucky we played on a game near Waltham Abbey which is near where West Ham used to train one of their schools uh, schools of excellence and 
um, just one day we played a game out there and I'd done quite well and, and then I went ended up going training there and you know it was that kind of just luck really and then I ended up at Millwall because my local coach he, he just painted the Millwall youth team manager's house and he'd become <laughs> friends with him and he said I, I've got a good goalkeeper and that was how that happened you know so I never really kind of I was always, I always done quite well and it was sort of well thought of in my team and, everything. and I used to play for a team that was terrible as well I mean we used to we used to lose started off when I was a year above in a really good team and then I moved down a year um, to a team that weren't so good and we used to lose you know six seven new every week but um, I still done quite well so it was um, it was a weird one really I think keepers it's Late developers and, you know, all this idea of being big and strong and everything like that, being a keeper, it doesn't happen for young kids until, you know, it just doesn't happen like that for them until they get a bit older. So it can be it can be quite difficult to stand out, I think. Nowadays, there's a lot more focus on goalkeepers. There's a lot more development you're doing, your badges at the moment for coaching. It, are aspiring junior goalkeepers better off joining a dedicated goalkeeping school should they be just doing the same as outfield players but it's kind of a it's funny because on on the course they're kind of talking about like agility and goalkeepers and and how a, a lot of time now where goalkeepers are starting off out on field and because they become sort of um stronger and physically stronger playing out on field that they end up being quite good goalkeepers because of that and then the way that things are now we're playing out from the back but yeah I think you can't it's like everything nowadays I think if you there's specialised you know views and specialised coaching in everything with football now I heard someone say today that, that some one of the Premier League teams have got a throwing coach you know it, it's, it's, getting, it's getting kind of ridiculous but it is that kind of specialised and there is a big difference in, in the way that you play um, in goal than you do anywhere else. And they, they are, we are a breed of our own. So yeah, I think any any help you can get in a specialised area, it's not. It can't all be just about specialised goalkeeping. You got goalkeeping. You got to do other bits and bobs. But it's definitely essential to get specialised coaching in that area. I think it's Liverpool that have the throwing coach, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, I think. And then they said it, it's Liverpool started it, and then other people have started. Joining, joining in with that. And I'm like thinking, well, that ain't a bad job. I'll be a throwing coach. You know, <laughs> crazy. Now, Ferry to the byline. De Vita! They have turned it around. Simon Ferry to the byline. And he had the presence of mind to pick out Rafael De Vita. So you go to Millwall because your coach painted a house basically amazing so they became kind of friends <laughs> and he lived he only lived in Watford which is where not far from where again you know same sort of thing as with the what West Ham had a, a school of excellence around the corner Millwall had a school of excellence in Watford basically that's how it all come about and he was painted his house they became friends and he said you know talking about football and everything and they said he got a goalkeeper and and and, and I went along and that was it <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Now, no. did, did any did any of your crop at the youth level? Did they? Did any of those go on to to professional careers? It's funny because I don't know the, the stats, but I think my youth sort of era at Millwall. Um, I don't know if they've if they've produced anything like it in terms of players before or after. Because there was, I mean, I wasn't. I I played uh, quite a few games. Out of my team, we had Tim Cahill, mm-hmm. Stephen Reid, Irish International. Yeah. Lucas Neal was was part of the sort of say. He was only a couple of years uh, or a year older than, than my age group. There was Paul Ifill, um, Richie Sadley played. He played, I think he played for Ireland. He's a forward, um, wasn't he? Forward, yeah. yeah. Um, Leon Court, um, centre back. Uh, he played in the Premiership. 
Um, and then there was a few players. Uh, Joe Dolan played quite a lot for, for Millwall. And then there was also... Um, uh, God, there's one more that's, that played quite a lot. Alan Dunn, he played quite a lot. A for, few games, for, yeah. For <laughs> yeah, so th- th- that kind of... Uh, two or three years, period. There must have been eight or nine players that went on to have half-decent or outstanding careers out of that out of that youth setup, and it was um, you know you didn't really think it at the time, and all it was it, that's the part of it. We was all it was such a kind of together kind of group. It was it was quite special. I thought. Anyway. Does it... Don't speak to any of them now. Though, but... <laughs> <laughs> if they, uh, I said this because um, one of my recent guests, uh, Fede Bassoni, he played in the same youth team as uh, Lionel Messi, and. Wow. I, I sort of asked if he if he was to walk past him in the street, would would he go? All right, Fede, how you doing? So if if Tim or Lucas would would see you, would they be like, all right, Phil? Well, I had, I did have hair back then, um, <laughs> but I don't. Do you know what? I don't know. Uh, I've never. Uh, that's the thing. You, you don't know. A couple of the other ones, they would, but I guess sort of the the higher profile they are, you kind of think the 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 more faces they see and the more forgettable people become, don't they? Yeah. Um. But it was. Yeah. I think it was a special time. I think if you didn't at first, and I said who I was, they might sort of say, "Oh, how, how are you?" Sort of thing, and and um, yeah, get bored pretty quickly and move on. But yeah, it's um, I don't know really. Mm. Obviously, I'd recognise him if I saw him. <laughs> There's. There's this sort of weird thing in, in youth football, isn't there? Like, there are players that you'll sit there and go, how on earth didn't they become pro or established pro? Yeah. And there are other players where, <laughs> where they were always destined for greatness. These sort of players, were, yeah. they, were they standouts or were they raw and they had the potential? Because I imagine Tim Cahill, he was a, I remember when he started out at Millwall, he was quite slight, he, was, he seemed so yeah. small, didn't he? Yeah, and he was quite small. When he came out, he was always confident, mm. but he was strong, you know? He was small, but he was strong. I remember we played... We were playing in the youth team quite a bit, uh, obviously, and um, there was a few of us that was involved in the first team quite a lot. I was involved with the first team quite a lot, and then we played a couple of youth team games, and in consecutive youth team games, he scored overhead kicks, and then he used to score headers for fun, and he just all of a sudden, then it was just like, right, we've got to get this kid involved, and then he just his spring and his strength just sort of stood out. And then like um, Stephen Reid, he was always technically really, really good from a young age. You know, they always thought highly of him and, and what he might do. And also Richie Sandy was a big, he was a big lad when he came over from Ireland. So he was always going to sort of, you know, they had big hopes for him as well. So it, it weren't like they come in as like amazing, oh, wow, it, it, look at this guy. But it, it didn't take too long. It was sort of a little bit of a slow burn, but you kind of knew where they were going. One last question on this squad before, because this is your podcast, not 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 Lucas <laughs> Neal's, but I've got to know, did Lucas Neal have the soul patch at youth level? The soul patch? The, the soul The patch? little bit of facial hair above he the did. chin. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> he was a little bit older, but yeah, he did. He did. And it's funny, he was my first ever first ever roommate. I got when I was fifteen we we played Oldham away in a I was gonna play Oldham away in an FA Youth Cup game mm. and we stayed overnight and I got pulled out of school. It's something you you know you can't do nowadays. And went with went with the uh, with the youth team up to Oldham and stayed overnight. He's my first ever roommate, Lucas Neal, so <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't remember that, but yeah. Millwall yeah. have something of a reputation. What what is it like? It's, it's almost it's a bit like a bubble and you kind of feel proud about it being a part of it because it is the case of you know that it, they do have the attitude that nobody likes them and they, and they don't care so you kind of feel you get a bit wrapped up in that kind of thinking you know that you're different and you're kind of like the outcasts a little bit you know nobody really wanted to go there but you know you're there and you're happy and you make a big deal out of it. do you know what I mean yeah. so it was kind of a bit like that 
um, you felt when you're younger, you think, oh, you know, you feel a bit sort of broader in the shoulders and a bit sort of tougher, if you like, because of because people might sort of fear you a little bit, you know. But yeah, I mean, there were some some crazy, crazy nights there, quite scary as well. Well, not scary because you're young and you're fearless, but some of the things that were going on at the time were, were kind of crazy. Like the Man City, we got we all got locked in when Man City went down there. It was riots in the in the streets outside, things like that, and um, yeah, some crazy things used to go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, your debut is kind of stereotypical for Millwall, wasn't it? So you make your debut as a goalkeeper at nineteen years old. I think I was eighteen, actually. I think it's a one-one draw at, at Ginningham. Two Millwall players are sent off. What are your memories from that game? It was it was weird. It's one of them when you think to yourself, oh, it's, it's supposed to happen." I can I can remember singing along to. It was a song, I can't remember who it is, that made this a night to remember. And I was singing along to it, and you don't really think about it. I can remember vividly, like, you get to the training ground, get on a coach, go into the game. Um, and it was Nigel Spink was the first team keeper at the time. And I'd, I'd been quite used to, I'd been, in, I'd been involved in the first team setup since I was like 16. So I was, you know, I was well used to it. You know, practically every, you know, from about six months into my first year, I was practically with the first team every week. Mm. And then, you know, getting on the coach, and it was quite, Happened quite a lot because Nigel Spink used to live in Birmingham and we obviously, obviously in London that we'd pick him up halfway along or he'd meet us at the ground quite a lot. And I remember going, we're travelling down to Gillingham and I'm thinking to myself, you know, when's Spinko again? Because I used to, I used, to, I used to get on really well with him. I used to love him. And then, but, you know, I didn't speak to him that day or that night and we were driving along and I was like, oh, we, you know, we, we're picking, we must be picking him up somewhere. And then we get to the ground thinking, oh, we must be inside. And then as everyone's getting off the coach, the manager's, Pulled me to, to the back and they said, "Are you ready to play? You're starting tonight. Spinko's not coming, so so you're in." And it's like, oh. And then and then they said, and then they just said, "Do you want to go out? Go outside, ring your mum and dad, see if they got time to get down here." And and that's what I did. I went out, rung my mum and dad, see if they had time to get down, get tickets sorted out. Um, it's quite funny because in them days it was almost it was it was weird because it was I think it was Vince Bartram was the other goalkeeper uh, for Gillingham. Mm. <clears throat> it was kind of like a it was a weird thing because he, he really helped out to get tickets and that for my mum and dad to get down and he was all really nice to me before the games like oh good luck kid you know enjoy it and all that sort of stuff um it was, it was really quite weird so yeah that was that was kind of the build-up i remember the warm-up i was knackered as well steve, steve grit was steve grit was one of the coaches and we didn't have another goalkeeper or goalkeeper coach or goalkeeper coach with us we did have one at the club but he never used to go to the games yeah and then like steve grit was doing it and Literally because of the adrenaline and because of, you know, he, he didn't really know how to warm up a goalkeeper and I wasn't going to tell him what to do. And I ended up really knackered, like, within half hour. I was, I was knackered before the game, like, but, um, but yeah, no, it, like I say, two two people got sent off and won one, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, I can remember it, but not remember it, if you know what I mean. How does that back line sort of treat an 18-year-old goalkeeper on their debut? Do they look after you? Do they expect you to be exactly the same as Nigel Spink and go by the playbook or go by the tactics or whatever? Or, no. or is it a case of just don't muck up? It was all amazing, to mm. be honest, because like I said, I've been around the first team quite a lot. So I kind of knew them and they knew I was a young lad and they kind of knew that I'd probably get a chance at some point. Um, and I was just, you know, young and used to do well. Do you know what I mean? And but they were all fantastic, you know, like looking after me. Um, Jared Lavin was there. He used to look after me quite a bit. Scott Fitzgerald, they got sent off in that game. I mean, he was brilliant. They both did. Um, <laughs> they both did. Oh, oh yeah, Lavin got sent off as well, didn't he? So I can't remember the actual the manager at the time is Keith Stevens and Alan McLeary. And Keith Stevens 
he had a bad knee injury when I first went, but he used to play, you know, in some reserve games, and you know, he re- he was really good. He really looked after the young lads. Well, you give him a bit of a, you know, a bit of a hair dryer and all that, because he he was like Mr. Mill, you know. Mm. But he used to look after you as well. It, it, you know, he'd have your back no matter what, and it, he was he was really good. Although I did upset him one year, seventeen years old. At the end is my, I think it's my first season. At the end of the year, everyone used to go away. Basically, used to have a players bar. And at the profits out of players bar, I used to pay for uh, basically a booze up holiday away. So that's what it done. So it comes to the end of the year. And like I said, I've been within the first team for quite a lot, you know, 16 and a half, so 17. He was going and then I don't know what happened. He got injured or something on the last couple of day or last last game of the season. And I ended up taking his spot because no other, no, none of the pros could go. So I ended up going 17 year old, first year in senior football. And I ended up going on the end of season boozy holiday <laughs> instead, of, instead of the... Instead of the club captain, like he weren't, he weren't best pleased about that. <laughs> and what are your memories of that holiday? <laughs> uh, not, not very much, I imagine. Not, not. I remember, I remember lying to a few people that I was nineteen. I remember that. <laughs> And I remember walking home about six o'clock in the morning one night, thinking this is this is the life, you know. But but um, yeah, no, there was there was some very vague memories. <laughs> <laughs> How important was it that you had such an experienced goalkeeper there, like Nigel Spink, who you know he won the European Cup when he was young. He he played you know hundreds of times at the top flight. Was was yeah. was he a major major sort of help to you, or was he just again? He was he was like he ended up being like my best mate, yeah. uh, you know, best mate stroke dad type figure, you know. And mm. I was really really lucky. I think if he hadn't have signed there, I don't think I would have ended up doing what I'd done. Mm. He, he, <clears throat> we had a couple of keepers. It was Tim Carter was the first team coach, when, uh, first team keeper when I first went, and another fellow called David Nurse. Mm-hmm. And you know, Tim Tim Carter, bless him, he was you know he he was he was great. He was a great person. Um, he played for Sunderland, didn't he? I think. He did play for Sunderland. <laughs> he went up. He went up to be the coach up there as well. Mm. The uh, last sort of few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was a good. He was great and everything to me. But then Nigel Spink came, and literally, that was the first time I watched a goalkeeper live and went, "Wow!" Do you know what I mean? This the stuff that he used to do, the way that he used his hands and made saves, and the, with his feet. Um, and it's like really gave me like a, a, a an idea of what you would have to be like to be successful. And he was brilliant with me, you know, teaching me things. We used to, like I say, I used to live in Birmingham and I used to live in Harrow. We used to meet up for a bacon roll in the morning. We used to have kind of like races in, you know, not like speeding and stuff, like our whereabouts are you, <laughs> and like races into training. And he really used to look after me and, and, and everything like that. He, he was really, like I say, first time I ever saw a goalkeeper and thought, wow, you know that's you know I've got to, I've got to really sort of pull my finger out if you're going to be successful that's kind of the level you got to get to and yeah like and that kind of made me do a lot of things different and 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 help me to get to where where I was going to go you know now Richie finds Ferry beaten away by Colgan oh it's loose it's Ferry again and that has surely sealed Twindon's place in round two. You hit 21 or just about to hit 21 you leave Millwall what's it like embarking on the hunt for new employment in football how 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 petrifying can it be or is it yeah it was it was it, it, honestly it was kind of <clears throat> it was horrendous because I was from 16 well like I say after the first six months of me being there I was I was like almost like the golden child if you like you know I was I nearly played I nearly made my debut at 16 
I was always around the first team. I made my debut younger. There was, like I said, there was a group of us who were all coming through. And I was the one, you know, the first one to make it through. And then I was like playing. I played a few games. My last game didn't do well. And then they was like, okay, now you're going to kick on. And then it kind of all went a bit wrong. They signed, they had Tony Warner, they signed, and they signed Willie Guru. And I think Nigel Spink was there at the same time. So they ended up being four of us. And it just literally, there was a bit of investment. And I just I just couldn't find a way in. And, and, and it just sort of went downhill. So when it came to 21, I knew what was going to happen. But it kind of, not, I still done well. You know, I didn't really do badly. But through kind of no fault, of my own, if you like, it came to an end, and it, I thought I had it all planned out. I thought that over the next two, two or three years, I'm going to be the first team keeper for Millwall, and I, this is going to be me, you know. And it didn't quite work out that way, and I, I kind of it was hard because I'd been there from 14, 15 years old to 21, and it's it was Mark McGee, and they just got promoted, so everyone's happy, you know, cheering, and I'm I'm literally leaving the ground at 21 in tears, thinking I'm never going to come back, and it was a horrible, you know, it's it's horrible, and then. Yeah, it was you know it was hard to kind of it was hard to kind of get back from that due to the fact that you can only really especially in below the Premier League you, you can only really justify three goalkeepers absolutely maximum two seniors and maybe a young yeah. goalkeeper is it yeah. harder for goalkeepers to find new clubs? Yeah, I found it really difficult and again like you say and that's the kind of thing that done me in because you just thought to myself but I just get somebody else in. If they don't want me to be first, they'll get someone else in. I'll be number two um, and they'll be all right. But they ended up with another two, you know, so three sort of senior keepers and then me. And it was like, got literally nowhere to go, mm. you know. And then, again, you go out anywhere else. Uh, I went on trial at QPR and they had first team keeper. I can't remember who the first team keeper was. And then they had a young lad, Nicky Ball. Mm. Yeah, um, shot, yeah. So, again, no room for me. Um, and that has happened. That happened quite a lot with clubs, you know. And if you if you're young and you played a couple of games, then you haven't played for a few years, which is what you know. I didn't play. I played at 18 and 19, and then I didn't play again. People ask questions why, and you know it, the, the chances are limited. I went out alone a couple of times and done all right, but it was never really. And then I just couldn't. And then and then you you fall into the trap. You get an agent, and the, the agent thinks they know best, and you you sort of scrambling around, and you just it's just a void, and you've got basically nowhere to go i think it was lee bedwell that was saying you like if you're not 100 percent committed to to the cause it's just the, the like we want you we want you we want you oh no we can't give you a contract because of yeah. abc and it's just that would just yeah. mentally that must be so draining yeah it is and that's why and that's another thing i didn't want to do i didn't want to do that go you know you know place after place trial after trial you know and it is just it, it does get demoralizing because you can you know a lot of time you can i didn't i only really done it a couple of times a trial and you can know you know you know that it's not going to happen but it's hard for the, the managers because they i guess they kind of don't really know because anything can happen but they also don't you know don't want to be unfair to you it, it, it's a difficult situation and um but then it's one of those if it's Sometimes you just you got to do it, but like like you say, Bettis is right. If you're not 100 percent committed to it, it's very difficult to make the right impression as well mm. because the people can sense it; they know. Yeah. Well, after a, a very very brief spell at Folkestone, you spend about five <laughs> years in what is now the National League with Dover, Margate, and Crawley, including yeah. your latest spell with Aldershot. Um, you play yeah. over 200 appearances in the fifth tier. Uh, how does it compare to the Football League? It, I mean, nowadays I look at it and I watch a, a little bit of um, of National League, and it is essentially a League Three. The early days, I'd say, I'd say no, because <laughs> it was 
it was definitely a lot more kind of um, not a lot of planning to it, and it was you know it was literally like just having a laugh, very much part time, very much kind of well a majority of the league anyway part time very much a social aspect of it you know not really looking after yourself too much doing what you want to do turn up for training some days turn up for games you know um it wasn't the main priority which was a bit of a kind of a shock right but um but yeah and again you know my i remember the Folkestone thing i went it's funny enough with the Folkestone. i, I was i went nigel spink went to forest green as manager yeah. <clears throat> i went and played a game for him he said i can't give you a contract or anything but come and play a game for me um, and I was like, yeah, okay, no worries. And I went and played a game and I tore my thigh. And then after that, Folkestone said, come and, come and play for us. And I said, well, I've torn my thigh. I said, it's all right, no worries. Come along. We'll sign you on a non-contract. We sorted out a wage and everything like that. And so come and sign non-contract and then, you know, we'll see what can happen. And then literally, the keys absolutely stitched me up massively. I, I didn't get paid any money. I played one game. Um, and he said, play this one game. And then if you do all right, Dover will sign you. And I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> So I played in one game, my first game back, it's done all right, and then Dover signed me and gave me a contract. But the bloke, I was there for about six or seven weeks. Uh, I, okay, I was injured, but you know, I sort of, you know, agreed to be, you know, to have a contract or, or a non-contract at the time, and he didn't pay me any money. And then, you know, all, all's well that ends well. But um, that's the reality of non-league football as well. You get you get stitched up left, right, and centre. You know, but he, he said, here, here, all right, here you go, here's some money, and expecting to get a full wage packet, and I got like. 40% of what I was supposed to get and you know it, of a weekly wage not even the, the sort of the, the other the time I was there and you think I'm bloody yeah what, 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 what's going on here What what's happened to me like you know but yeah then um, ended up at Dover it doesn't sound like you're pro- professional at this stage so what were yeah. you doing at, during those years up to Crawley and how hard is it to juggle employment with football for example when I was doing my research for this I saw that you played for Margate on a Tuesday night in Morecambe a 650 yeah. mile round trip um yeah. that that you know is that annual leave or is that a very understanding yeah. employer yeah basically um and at the first few years i was i was part-time but i was i didn't have a job i was only young you know and and the money was was enough for me being young living at home with my mum and dad i didn't have to work so i didn't bother i just thought to myself when i was at margate a friend of mine my best mate's dad was working for an insurance firm he said oh they're looking for people there it's, it's easy just answering the phone like call center type thing and i went and, and i just i just done that working for an insurance company in a call center just for a bit of extra kind of money and then at the time at margate again it was two nights a week they didn't train in margate by the just by the dartford tunnel somewhere so it weren't too bad and i used to, li- to finish work five o'clock straight in the car and drive to training mm. but then you know every now and then i used to have time have, used to have to have time off to go like say up to morecambe on a tuesday night things like that and, and you know half day we had an evening game or you know an away game somewhere you know in birmingham you know you take a half day annual leave and then when you run out basically i used to use all my holiday for football and that was it didn't have any you know if i wanted i didn't have holidays then or anything like that and, and that was that you recognized it what is now known as England sea level. So you represented the amateur game at international level. How highly regarded is that for semi-professional players? It's a nothing kind of thing when you're not picked. But when you are picked, it's a very proud moment, you know? Yeah. Um, because it means that you've done something right. Um, I remember I, I got called up on a kind of a... Somebody else backed out, I think. I can't remember. Um, and me and the other Greg Oates, it was, who was at, at Margate. We, we went up there and it was, you know, it, it was one of those. It was a, sort of a bit of a, 
we were both kind of like, oh, this is a bit of a ball's ache sort of thing. But we both kind of like, you know, obviously we're proud of it. Greg got injured and he had to come home. And I ended up, like I say, I got called in because somebody else pulled out. So, you know, I was, you know, again, it was like one of them. We played for an unfashionable non-league club, you know. We played for Margate. So it was kind of like all the, the Margate, you know, don't we really got a chance. And then there's a couple of other, I can't remember who it was at the time. But a big club had just come down. I think it might have been Shrewsbury. Um, into the into that league, so there was a, a couple of big clubs that they picked. You know, an obvious sort of choice would pick the players from the big club. You know, um, and it was under it was supposed to be under twenty three. I think although I was twenty five at the time. But yeah, it's an honor. It's like one of those things. I've got I've got the cap, and you can you can't tell. You know, if you look at the cap, you can't tell who, who it's for or what team it's for. So it's, <laughs> it's just it's a just, cap. It's just an England cap. So you know, I've got an England cap in my house, but nobody really. And they look at, oh, you got an England cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's just, I sort of, and then I leave it. I don't say anything else. Who, who um, was it against? Belgium. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I don't think it was the Belgium. No, it's, it'll be like, um, they're usually yeah. like, I think they play Estonia a lot and it's like they're under 23s. They play the Welsh semi pros yeah. a lot. It, it'll be yeah. their sort of lower lower leagues, but not, at least you could, that's, that's a good one. And I got a shirt still, you know. Oh, nice. um, we played at, uh, one of the best, best things we played at, because um, they'd gone out of business, didn't, didn't they? The stadium was fantastic and they went out of business. Um, um, I'm going to go Darlington. To Darlington. Start. There we go. So I got to play in a nice stadium. So, you know, I was, I was just buzzing with all that, really. When you're semi-professional and you, 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 you're, you're entering your fifth year now. Yeah. Are you now coming to terms with the notion that higher leagues aren't going to come calling anymore? Or do you still retain hope? Yeah, it, it was getting a bit like that, and, and again, I was—I always, I'm not—I'm not a big-headed bloke, like you know. But mm. I was always done well, and I always fancied myself as maybe getting picked up and and things like that. And um, you know, I done well at Margate. That came to an end. We went to Crawley, and I done really well at, at, at Crawley. And, and then, sort of coming into the second year, it kind of picked up. The professionalism picked up a little bit. We signed a couple of players. Um, John Hollins was the manager, and there was a sort of a period there. And he come in, and I really, I really liked him. I had a lot of time for John Hollins. He was a lovely, lovely bloke. And then it just kind of got to a point when I just thought to myself, you know what? I think I was 24, 25. You know, if it's not going to happen soon, it's not going to happen. So you got to do something about it. You know, we've got to try a bit harder, work a bit harder. You know, lose a bit of weight, train a bit harder, take it a bit more kind of serious. You know. Um, which is what I've done. And I mean, his brother, Dave Hollins, he was a goalkeeper. Um, he was done scouting for a few clubs and things like that. And you know, they used to come up to me and say, well, we just can't believe you haven't been picked up. Can't believe you're still here. You know, I'm sure something will happen for you. And, and it, it, it sort of, it, it kind of really didn't until until the end of that season, really. From I, I watched a lot of non-league football when I was younger. And I, I, I can't... There's, so many games I went to where my dad would say, see him, yeah, turned down Leighton Orient. Why? Well, he's in the civil service and he doesn't want to, uh, <laughs> he doesn't want to jeopardise his pension. So he's on, he's on loads there. Yeah. <laughs> There's loads of examples of that. Or he's, you know, he, he doesn't need to be a professional footballer. He's got his own business and things like that. Yeah. To us, it's a football club comes in. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, Man City or if it's Yeovil. We kind of think, well, it's pro contract. Of course, you're going to take it. Is it yeah. a tough decision for footballers to make that, to roll the dice? Beginning of my second year at Crawley, we played Wickham in a pre-season friendly. And I think we played Swindon a couple of weeks yeah. later. And I had a really good game against Wickham. It was John Gorman. Oh, no. Yeah. Who was the manager? Gorman. It could have been Gorman. He was manager. Gorman, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was the manager of Wicked. He used to be at Swindon. Oh yeah. So so he rings me. He rings me up and he's like, "We really want to take you on." This is another thing, Lee. They really want to take you on. What sort of money are you looking for? You know, and I said what I was on at Crawley and I said what I was earning at work. And I said, well, that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at. And then I think that was all, all right. But, you know, I was like, I, I want to, you know, I want to do this. This is, uh, this is, you know, what an opportunity. And then I think, I think Crawley asked for something like 30 grand or something stupid. Anyway, there was never going to, there was never going to pay money for me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it, it never happened. But yeah, that does, you know, there are, with people, especially with that kind of period, a lot of time when people come out of football or still playing football, they had a trade, you know, or or a kind of job they've been in for a few years and established. And it's kind of, if they've been in that scenario before and they've come out, they kind of know already what the pitfalls of, of kind of giving up everything to be a footballer can be and how short you can be out for, that they kind of are reluctant to give up, mm-hmm. you know, give up the securities, if you like. And, and, and like you say, good wages, because um, generally... Full-time wages would uh, that you know for for the good players, full-time wages would be less than probably what they was on just for the football money, you know. Yeah. And then they got a job that they're quite you know cushy job maybe they got time off. That um, yeah, for a lot of people and, and also the the lifestyle, like I say, it was more of a social than anything else back in them days. <laughs> that um, yeah, it just people weren't prepared to give it up. Austin going- Here we go then. This is this. I've been really looking forward to talking to yourself because your career <laughs> at Swindon is yeah. so. It, you know, it, it, you know, what is it? Five, five seasons, um, six, six, six seasons. seasons. Yeah, and but it so much happens during that time. <laughs> you, you, you you see so much from on the pitch to off the pitch. But yeah. you you arrive from Crawley, and this is pre that weird money era Crawley. So um, they're well, a mess. Yeah. They're a mess, aren't they? So you. Well, that's- that's it it was literally they stopped i moved into a flat my first flat i moved into it um on the about the the second of may or something stupid like that um and i was supposed to be paid on the first of may so that was the first time they stopped paying us was that first of may and i moved into my new flat just arranged a mortgage and everything like that on the second (laughs) so it was like jesus christ but that is they just stopped paying players then Mm. and at what point does the opportunity to go to Swindon occur? During that during that summer, Dave Tuttle, obviously I knew from Millwall, hmm. um, he was in touch with my the goalkeeper coach who was at Millwall, uh, Tony Burns, who I still speak to you know today you know now and they were quite close and Tony had been around Millwall quite a long time and and Dennis Wise and you know I've been speaking to him about maybe chances all you know for the last couple of years really about maybe moving getting into a league club nearly back to Millwall a couple of times and um you know he said you know come down have a trial um and see how, see how you get on he said he's looking for a big first team goalkeeper um, but you know come along we've got no one come along and, and sort of see what happens mm. um and at that time you know Crawley were trying to sort stuff out they were trying to arrange new contracts and things to go back um, you know, they was on the phone to me quite a bit, and you know, uh, I just decided, you know, what I've got to give it a go and and try to sort of see what happens at, at Swindon. You know. Yeah, and I was looking at the uh, 
the the newspaper articles from the advertiser around that time and it, it really seems like they, they 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 have a long look at you um but they're happy <laughs> that's, <laughs> an, that's an understatement i think it's the longest trial anyone's yeah, ever been on. right i mean it seems that way but they they you have one last look and it's the copper ibiza which yeah. there must be worse ways to uh, finish your trial or is it good that you're going away to ibiza <laughs> I think I'd like to think that they knew they were going to sign yeah. me before we went away. I'd like to think that, but yeah, it was a lot. I mean, there must I can't I can't remember how many goalkeepers there were that came in for trials at that point. And you know, I'm there and I'm thinking, you know, I was done. I, do you know what I did? I did I did do well in the trial. You know, yeah. consistently quite. I mean, I weren't, but then you know, I was kind of thought, hang on a minute. And then like somebody else would come in, and I think, oh bollocks. And then. Then they'd train for a couple of days, and I think, oh bloody hell, they're not that good. And then, and then they'd go, and then somebody else would come in, and then they'd go. And I remember once we played, we played a game, we played a game. And they brought somebody else in, a Dutch fellow, I think, and he was a big lad. And then um, Dennis said to me, "Come over here." He said, "Listen, don't worry, <laughs> just, just don't worry about it. You know, you're not playing today, but you know, don't. We know what you can do. Just don't worry. You know." And then, and I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of felt like they had my back a bit, or they sort of knew where they was with, with me a bit but then yeah we went out to 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 Ibiza and it was um yeah like I said I'd like to think they knew they was going to sign me but there was one game out there I had to play one game but they didn't say you got to play this one game and then we'll make a decision I just kind of thought maybe by the end of the trip when we got back they might let me know you know <laughs> but um yeah I remember it's quite funny because we played in the game and Gus Poyet played and I mean what what a guy Gus Poyet was as well and you you know friendly down to earth he used to text us throughout the season even after he left to say good luck how you getting on and all that sort of thing but you know unbelievable the sort of the stature that he had as, as a player you know the amount of time and effort he used to put him personally with the players and you know making sure everyone's happy and okay and just a nice bloke to be around you know I was more excited when it was announced that Gus was joining as assistant manager than I was when Dennis was appointed yeah. manager to be honest and I said to David Tuttle, I said, well, you know, because we went to a game, a pre-season game, and Gus, Dennis Wise went off in the car on his own on, on the way home with whoever, and then Gus stayed on the bus to go back with the players, and he used to do that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I said to David Tuttle, I said, so what's he going to do? Is he, he's going to sit on the bus with us all the time? I said, yeah. He's going to, and you think, well, fair play, like, you know, and yeah. you really felt like he was looking out for you, you know? Yeah. And he, he gave a pass, it's funny, because in that game, he gave a pass away, to the edge of the box and I made a save yeah and then and I think we won one nil or something like that and that's when they, when they sat me down and offered me the contract he says yeah that's down to me that is I've done that on purpose gave you that gave that ball away so you can get a, you know, I earned you that contract <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no worries cheers I'll take that well, you signed permanently in July 2006. And as you said, you were brought in specifically to be cover for it was be Petter. Is it Petter or Peter Brezovan? Um, I think it's I think it's Petter, but, but it was Pete. Yeah. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Dennis Wise makes it clear, like I said, that you're back up, but you're a yeah. hardworking fella, is what what the quote states in the yeah. articles. Uh, you're you're on you're on the bench as Brezovan plays out the dream debut against Hartlepool. Yeah. In those situations, when you're sat there, what's going through your mind? A second choice? Are you thinking, well, this is going to be a long and dull season, sat on the bench? Or do you think, no, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight for, for, for that, that shirt? It was a bit like, it was a bit kind of, it was a bit of both because, mm. you know, um, I felt I'd done well over preseason. I felt good and, and, and everything like that. And I played every week for a long time. You know, I've, I've been number one for, you know, for the last 
you know, four or five years. Although, albeit in like the conference, I, you know, used to playing every week and, you know, enjoy playing every week. That was just, you know, what I did, you know. Yeah. And then um, watching that game, it was like you say, dream debut, and you think you hold your hands and you think, well, oh, bloody hell, this is not, you know, I'm not really going to get a look in here. And then it's kind of a bit of a, you know, if it had been sort of a normal debut, maybe you think, uh, you know, I've got, you know, but it was one of those you think, well, this, this geezer's, you know, no one's going to move him out of the way. He's like a, he's a hero on day one, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for a few weeks, I remember we went to uh, Accrington away. And I remember I wasn't even on the bench that game. And I just started thinking to myself, have I made the right decision here? Do you know and, what I mean? Is this... But you were there, weren't you? And I remember, because I went to that game and you just sort of stood at the side of the dugout, if I remember, just hands in pockets looking forlorn. I just did feel like, feel to myself then, am I, you know, have I made the right decision? Because can I, one, you know, I'm not on, I'm not even on the bench now. Yeah. And I don't think, and it wasn't because I'd done anything wrong. I think it's just because Dennis Wise wanted that's he, he he didn't want to waste one of his subs as being a goalkeeper. Yeah. Because that was it basically just reduced it, for the amount of times that it happened where a goalkeeper got injured. Mm. It wasn't worth the it, the risk reward wasn't worth it for him. And he you know he explained it to me. He wasn't he wasn't saying you know you're not done anything wrong and I you know I hadn't done anything wrong. No. Um, and it just and I was thinking if I'm not even going to get on the bench, you know. Um, you know this this guy's this six foot seven Slovakian guy is like the hero of Swindon on you know three weeks in. You know, have I made the right decision? Are you, you, know? are you stood there watching, going, I "Bloody hope he gets he gets sent off or something," and then and then you can just look to the bench and go, "Well, you know." No, <laughs> no well, no, not not really, because they. Were, I mean, they was all because I I didn't have with them. They had such a good way about them. That yeah. you, I didn't feel like that. I didn't feel like I'd been alienated. Or I didn't. Do you know what I mean? It was like. It was just, I just felt I wanted to be a part of it, you know, and and, and I didn't feel, um, I wanted to sort of, I don't know. I'm a spiteful person, Phil. I'd have been full of spite. No, I wasn't. I wasn't at that point. No, I wasn't. There's plenty of time for spite later on, but at that point I wasn't. It was more about have I made the right decision to to do this? Because I didn't, you know, I could have gone back to Crawley Mm. and played every week. I could have, you know, the money would have been the same. Mm-hmm. They would have. Mat- they said to me they'll match the wages they'd, off- they'd offered, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. You Stuck know, the win bonus. The win bonuses was the one, and that was the thing. It's like, well, I'm not even going to get win bonuses. I'm not involved, and yeah. it's like, oh, have I made the right decision? Brisbane yeah. didn't speak any English at that at that early stage, so you're yeah. sort of you're going into the professional game again, and you're yeah. trying to build a rapport with with your teammate who doesn't yeah. speak English. Is that yeah. difficult? Uh, a little bit, because yeah. again, I didn't know anybody at the club so I couldn't like bring him in you know because Dennis Wise said to me in Ibiza he's like you know look after him mm. um, your te- you know, your teammates look after him I'm like yeah no worries but I didn't really know anybody um, I'm not the most outgoing type of bloke anyway and yeah it was he was when he first came he was very much well, I mean I was quite introvert but he was really introvert you know he had his, his laptop he'd be playing computer games on his laptop he'd be reading listening to listening to music you know, be quite. In- Obviously, he didn't speak any English either, so it's quite, a, quite a quiet. You know, bedroom in, in, in you know, in, in Ibiza. But you know, he was quite difficult. I remember, like, uh, you know, after the last game, we all we all went went out into town, and I was like, "Come on, Peter, let's go." And he's like, "No." And it happened a couple of times. One Christmas, do I went and sat outside his house and said, "Come on." we're going and he's like no I'm not going I said come on get your stuff and we'll go and we you know he ended up changing his mind and we went so <laughs> um yeah it was 
I mean, we we did get on all right. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. but it, when you don't, obviously, you get to know each other a bit because we always used to room together and everything. So you find out teaching things and words and things like that. And I weren't, you know, I weren't horrible. I weren't, you know, I weren't the type of bloke to sort of be. You know, I knew the sto- You know, I knew the score. I weren't going to try and sort of stitch him up or anything. Yeah. So I think he kind of realised that as well. Yeah. Well, you make your debut in the. League Cup penalty shootout loss to Brentford, one of your millions of penalty shootouts you, you encounter <laughs> at Swindon. Stuart Nelson scores the penalty. Stuart Nelson, for those who don't know, is a goalkeeper. I hate goalkeepers winning penalty shootouts. Is it, <laughs> is it annoying for you guys when they step up as well? The annoying thing about it is Stuart Nelson was, when I was a first, second year pro at Millwall, yeah. Stephen, Stuart Nelson was the Houston goalkeeper at Millwall. Ah, uh, that that was even doubly, and <laughs> it was triply bad. It was triply a nightmare because I got let go from Millwall. He got let go from Millwall. He went then to or around around this kind of way, and then he ended up going to to Brentford. And I'm like, oh my god, like you know, I'm get, I'm going nowhere. And he's ended up going to, you know to Brentford. And then my first time, he's playing every week at Brentford. And then the first my first game back in the not even the league, but then he scores at a penalty in the penalty shootout against me. I'm like, you know, the world's against me at the minute. Curry on the ball, he's got Ward with him, timing of the pass is crucial, a touch and shoot, yes, you bet, you bet, 2-0 Swindon, Danny Ward. Brethren's injured uh, in a bad way in a, in a win against Grimsby and that gives you your opportunity in the league against Shrewsbury. Yeah. He was... I mean, I'm in my 20s during this stage, so I remember it really, really well. And I just remember there was, well, not deflated, but everyone was like, oh man, that's it then. So Brezovan's gone, that's it. No one's saying that because they're thinking Phil Smith's rubbish. They're just thinking, this guy is, is a machine. Yeah. Did, did you feel any of that additional pressure? A bit, but then again, at the time, you know, it was just one game you know, the Shrewsbury game is just, you know, just the one game. And there was a lot, you know, so much else going on at that time. That, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can remember thinking to myself, and I don't know, if, I don't know if, because it was Andy Beasley, I think was the coach at the time. Yeah. Which is kind of sort of saying, you know what, you know, he is what he is. Um, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I cannot try and be everything that he was doing because it just won't work. Yeah. You know, uh, I just got to try and be, be what I am, be what, you know, do what I can do. Um, and, and then, you know, just because if I go and try and do things that I'm not comfortable with or, or not, or just trying to force the issue, it'll end up coming up, coming unstuck, you know. Mm. Um, I've just felt, you know, very clear in my head. I just have to be what I am and then just, you know, just hope that that gets me kind of through, you know. I mean, it's an important game as well at the time. Um, yeah. Not, not even considering the the uh what's happening had we off lost, the pitch. Had we lost the game by then or was it was that still part of the winning run that is we win that game uh Aaron Brown I think scored late on I think the next game against Lincoln might have might have stopped the run we lost to Lincoln at home I seem to remember but that that Shrewsbury game's known because it was the last game for Wise Poyer and Beasley who buggered off up to Leeds uh, yeah. shortly afterwards. Was that known amongst the squad that this was on the cards before that I game? Mean, no, no, no. Nobody knew. There was the rumours the same as what any, everybody else had heard, you know. Yeah. 
is he, are they, you know, are they going, are they not going? And he never let on about anything. And he was such, I really liked him. He was such a nice bloke, you know, and he looked after the lads um, really well. And it was really a case of, I think everybody, everyone just didn't want it to be true, obviously because we were doing really well as well. Yeah. Um, nobody really wanted it to be kind of true. So we didn't really say much or do anything. Hmm. Um, but it was just everyone liked being a part of it and part of them and their team, you know. So it was just nobody really knew, really. But I think everyone was just, nobody really spoke about it too much because nobody really wanted it to happen, I don't think. Yeah. It, it was just so annoying at the time because Ken Bates had taken Glenn Hoddle from Swindon and then when you know things were beginning to look a little bit rosy after an awful the season before you before you arrived was just so bad mm. um, not any manager's fault but it was just so disheartening and when things are just picking up and it was a good old-fashioned Swindon pick a big name sort of appointment as well which is what Swindon have a good tradition of so so it was yeah. just it was such a shame but based on a couple of things that you say and you you can completely correct me but it Gus, de facto manager in places in this, or are they sharing that role? Or was Dennis very much in charge? No, nah, Dennis was very much in charge. Yeah. Um, and Gus was the assistant, you know. It, Dennis would do everything. Gus would be Gus would be your typical, back in them days, assistant manager. Good cop sort of thing, yeah. Arm around the Good shoulder, cop. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He'd have a laugh with you. It'd be like, um, he'd be walking around the dressing room in the morning having a laugh, you'd read the newspaper. That I remember sitting there reading the newspaper one day. In them days, at Lidington, there was like three or four different dressing rooms, mm. small dressing rooms. You had three or four players in each because they weren't that big. So you're sitting there. I was sat there on my own reading it and there's the, the complex going up in Dubai and he walked in and went, uh, yeah, that one's mine and then walked back out. And it's like, it, it's just, it just keeps things morale up, you know, it, very much like the, the, the old school assistant, mm. you know, trying to, be the be the good cop, have a laugh, keep the guys on side, you know, join in and train in with numbers and do little bits and bobs, you know. Um yeah, but Dennis was very much the form, you know, the manager, you know, everything was was sort of straightforward. And he had a laugh and a smile and that, but he was like the nail the manager, you know, there was no question about it. Are you surprised Dennis didn't kick on as a manager? I know he'd already been to a cup final as manager, but I mean, his Leeds move resulted in him taking a behind the scenes job at Newcastle. And then yeah. the, it's now reality TV. Are you, are you surprised that he didn't really establish himself more as a manager like Gus did, for example? Yeah, absolutely. It, it still baffles me because the, the, like I say, because of the infusion, I mean, something must have happened maybe, but the enthusiasm that he had mm. for doing the job, the way that he prepared the guys, the way that he went about training, the pre-season, everything, you know, you just thought to yourself, this guy's, you know, and I know what I heard about him at Millwall, you know, this guy's, you know, he's wants to, he's going to be a top manager, you know, it, that's what he, you could get the impression that that's what he wanted to do, you know, and that's why, you know, he went to Leeds, because you think he wants to progress, you know, and, I know there's the thing about Ken Bates and him as sort of a a bond between them and everything, but you know you, you kind of thought that that's what it was all about and that's what it was for, you know. And yeah, very surprised that he didn't do it anymore. I don't know what happened or or what, but yeah, very surprised that that he's not he's not popped up in in, in jobs and he's he's not a manager today. Mm-hmm. Well, Ad Williams is appointed caretaker manager. It's quite unusual because he even brings his own assistant in, in Barry Hunter at that stage. So the way I'm thinking is this is like. Eddie Williams has the hallmarks of becoming a manager, you know, 
traditional centre back, loads of appearances, um, yeah. reasonably local. It seemed like it was going to happen, and yeah. and it doesn't for whatever reason. We lose a game um, against Lincoln, and we I think we we lose both of his games in charge. And during that time. The club, I don't know if it's him or the club, they bring in Nan, uh, Andy Lonergan um, from yeah. Preston on loan. And we've only got under 18 John Stewart as well. So it's yeah. probably understandable that they brought somebody in. But yeah. you lose your place to him straight away yeah. after just two games. Is it... Are you like... Are you kidding me? A bit, yeah. Well, it's only one game, I think. I only played... Well, yeah. no, was it... The link is it the Lincoln game at home? Yeah, he plays in the lost. Lincoln one, and I think the other, only other game he played actually was against. Well, it was in the Wiltshire Premier um, Shield, I think. Actually, only right. only one senior game, yeah. So then, yeah, and then yeah, it, it was a bit like, and I understand it because AD, you could tell, like you say, he brought in his own assistant. He really wanted, he really wanted to have a good go at getting the job, you know. Hmm. I think, um, and. You know, fair play to him, and and that was you know I was un you know unknown, untested. Probably one of his mates has rang him up and said, you know, you can have Andy Lonergan if you want, and he's like, well, yeah, I love that, and, and you know, yeah, and, and uh, you kind of I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like it wasn't like thinking to myself, bloody hell, what you, you stitched me right up here, but he just thought, you know, it's just the way it's going to go, you know. Yeah, just think about it in the terms of you've had to wait for your opportunity you're lucky to get the opportunity because Bresovan gets injured and yeah. just because Wise leaves suddenly you find yourself not able to cement it's clear that we need another goalkeeper because John yeah. Stewart's not ready completely understand that um, yeah. but well I mean I don't even know it might have all, it might have been sort of half sorted out before Dennis left yeah. you know yeah. you know I, I, I don't even you know I don't know it might have been a case of well they might have just thought, well, we'll see how he goes. But again, like you said, probably thinking to themselves, we've got to get somebody else in because of numbers. Um, and, and, you know, maybe in, in that kind of period, that's why it kind of happened. And Nady was like, yeah, no, we'll still have him because, it's, you know, nothing's really changed. And obviously, he had a, he had a you know, good pedigree, you know, Andy Lonergan. So you, you kind of can't argue, you can't really argue no, with it. Not at all. A.D. Williams' misfortune works in your favour because... Paul Sturrock comes in and this is where your Swindon career really begins to to pick up a little bit. Or you certainly a couple mm. of my previous guests have alluded to the fact that Luggy was a bit of a character. Uh, what yeah. were your experiences of Paul Sturrock? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, it was one of them. I think what kind of done it for me with him and, and he he always used to call me my goalkeeper. You know, you say that's you know my goalkeeper and it just he was a little bit kind of nuts and he'd always have things to get you going. We'd have the bets before the game, you know, who's going to score, clean sheet, things like that. Just the guys just kind of, and you couldn't argue again with his record, you know, mm. you couldn't argue with what he was doing. He, 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 um, he got results and he got promotions, you know, I think that guy, I think, cause I think then, I think what happened then, I don't know, it was the FA cup, I think. And Andy Lonergan couldn't play in the FA cup. And I could, and we won that game. And I heard a press conference, and and somebody said about who's going to play. Is it going to be? Is it going to be um, Phil or Andy Lonigan? And I think he said something like, you know, that he don't like to change a losing team or a winning team. Um, and and so they did stick with me. And I thought to myself, I just thought I just felt like, wow, you know, this is this is my kind of chance, if you like. Do you know what I mean? I'm like for the first sort of first bit, sort of the border letdown so far. Not letdowns because. At Swindon, but kind of the knockbacks, if you like. Then all of a sudden, hang on, this is, you know, a bit of a an up, a bit of a boost here for me. But he was, yeah, he really kind of 
backed me really sort of from day one and, and yeah he was a bit he was a bit of a character like and him and, and um and sloops and and uh, kevin summerfield <laughs> they um again you couldn't argue but they work well together they, they had a bond together and they just worked well and then everybody bought into them as well you know yeah i was really happy when stoke arrived because he had his own backroom staff he had his own philosophy he was proven it was yeah. it was a really really good appointment and yeah i mean in, in december 2006 the Swindon fans essentially help you earn the PFA Player of the Month award. And on New Year's Day, I think you kept a clean sheet and uh, saved a penalty against MK Dons, which is brilliant if you watch the uh, if you watch the highlights because you can hear the one MK Dons fan at the time shout "You f- idiot!" <laughs> is um, <laughs> McCloyd. Uh, I love yeah. I love it when you can hear the crowd. It's one of the best things about the lower league football. <laughs> Considering the four or five years that you spent outside of the football league, this must feel amazing it must feel like right i'm here now finally yeah. this is it yeah yeah it was and i i was i was literally i was on cloud nine you know i was i got a new i got a new deal sort of towards that sort of time i think you know yeah we had a good fa cup run mm. it was just all it was just all going well you know i was getting you know recognition like you said i got a pfa award uh or sort of a, a, a player of the month award you know People were sort of happy with me. Like teammates were kind of saying to me, you know, how, how, how did you, how was you in non-league for five years and, and things like that. And it's just everything was just going well. I was playing well. We were winning. You know, it's just it, it just used to go down a pub on a Saturday and and they'd have our highlights on and be with my mates and they'd all be laughing. And there I am, you know, because you know, like I say, a couple of years before we'd be in there and nobody was, you know, do you know what I mean? It was like it was just it just everything was just amazing at that point, you know. promotion um, yeah. in your first season considering all the off the field shenanigans the departure of a manager it mm. it seemed to take ages at the end so I remember that game at Bristol Rovers where Ricky yeah. Lambert bloody scores that 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 uh, long range and I always <laughs> I always feel partly responsible that day because I, I I'm partly responsible for creating one of those fake somebody scored elsewhere moments yeah. because yeah. this this kid showed me a phone and it suggested that Tommy Mooney had scored, I think for Wickham or, you know, something like that, which meant yeah. Swindon were up. And <laughs> I said, oh, Mooney scored. And the person next to me who I was with started going ballistic. And then it caused that ripple effect. Yeah. And, and of course, nothing had happened and Swindon no. did go up that day. But we did against Walsall the following week. And as you said, suggest with that off the pitch sort of... Um, Reports. The only time I've really seen Swindon players outside the ground after the game with their Coronas in hand, Curtis Weston and <laughs> Patrick Nabissi were, you know, having a great yeah. time, and um, Sophie yeah. and Zaboob as well. And it, yeah. it just felt like the vibe was good. Oh, it was. It was amazing. It was. I remember that game. And, and um, Sloop, he went absolutely nuts at me after the game. He said, "We told you how many times did we tell you that he shoots from distance?" Mm. And I'm like thinking, "Yeah, I know, but still, you know." It was. It wasn't like it. he tapped him, and then yeah. And I remember walking off, and one I think it was the Bristol Rovers kit man said, "Oh, don't worry, you're up anyway." Mm. And I was like, "Are we?" And and it, at that point, you're sort of thinking to yourself, "Surely not," because it, it we were so close for a while, and it just did seem to take ages. Mm. Um, and I was like, you know, it was almost like surely, surely it can't. We can't not get promoted. Surely not, you know. And I remember obviously the game, the game at, at, at Wickham. 
not a week and the Walsall game was obviously a fantastic day like but yeah it was it was a great it was a great kind of time everyone like I said, we, I mean you're winning everyone's happy when you're winning you know um and and it was it was literally I remember what we think we reported because there was a do on the Sunday I think as well I remember seeing Kevin Summerfield on the Monday or the Tuesday after and he said to me, Jesus, that's the first time I haven't seen you with two bottles of Corona around for three days. I said, well, it's the first time I haven't had two in my hand for three days. But he said, it's quite, he said that one of the first, he said, listen, obviously you want to have a drink. He said, but you need to remember these days. Don't get so drunk that you can't remember what's happened. <laughs> That was a, that was another long distance one on the uh, Walsall game as well. Right at the end, it was it was it was brilliant because Gerald scored his goal and he never scored and it was such a yeah. I think that the, it practically ripped the net apart. That that was that was a great yeah. moment and then Dean Keats scores to give Walsall the championship as well and it just the, the feeling was just great because we didn't we weren't bothered we'd gone up no. and they'd won and prevented Hartlepool from winning the league. It was oh, a happy sunny day. So. <laughs> Great day, it was. It was, it was a great, great day. day. It was a great day. I travelled up yeah. from Plymouth, so it had to be. So the summer comes, and it's that era in Swindon history, up until, you know, up until when Andrew Black, the consortium, takes over. Yeah. We're always on the brink of implosion in, in, in some degree, because yeah. we don't have any money. And, yeah. you know, Swindon fans from that era, I, I like to think we, we were understanding of that. And I think that's why we look back at, for example, the Andy King era, because, you know, we didn't have a pot to, to pee in, but yeah. there was plenty of heart, plenty of endeavour, plenty of character, and it was all right. Now, during your time, those owners are beginning to move out and for a little while we have this consortium called Best Holdings which is linked to Portugal, Rufus Brevet. It was a bizarre time for the club and it didn't even then, you know, when you sort of find out about an owner and you kind of look at the facts or what you know and you think, hmm, not too (laughs) sure about this but we'll see what plays out. What are your memories from that time? Yeah, kind of a little bit like, I like that, thinking... Something's not quite right here because they was there quite a bit. They all looked like businessy type, Rufus Brevet and that, and they all used to turn up in their nice suits and sunglasses. And then when when they turn up, when owners turn up with players, I think you know you you've got alarm bells ringing. Yeah, you know, um, they turn up and there's three or four players I think signed straight away. <laughs> yeah, it, alarm bells for me. And I, I mean, I don't know. It, it did seem a little bit like. This is never to me. It just felt like this is not happening. This is not going to happen. They're not going to take over. Do you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. It just doesn't look right. It's something's not quite right yet. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I don't really have much memories from. It. I remember seeing them and I remember the players a little bit. But um, there was there yeah. was there was just that one game that really was like, oh come on, what's going on? And it was Brentford again in the in the in the uh, Johnston's paint where this the announced they they confirmed the lineup and Mauro Almeida's playing. Nobody mm. knew who Mauro Almeida was. We knew Marietta, but yeah. Almeida, that's his only game he played. Yeah. Nobody had a clue. And that's when for me you're like, nah, this is gonna this is gonna I mean, thankfully it, it fell through, but I think if that went over the line best, it, it it could have been catastrophic for town to be honest. Yeah, I think so. It won it didn't feel right, nothing was quite right. I don't know the reasons why it fell through, but obviously something wasn't quite right in it. But it just you know the fact that they, you know, signed these, it was almost like you think to yourself, what, were they just dodgy agents? Wanted to get players signed? Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then, you know, bugger off. But it it did feel a little bit kind of like that. And when agents, when when owners turn up 
and players are signed before they've bought and everything like that. And they're part of the kind of deal you think something's not quite right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And especially when they're players that you can tell... <laughs> You can tell that they maybe shouldn't be there, you know? <laughs> yeah, Franklin uh, Az- Azaite or something like that. He, Central, I can't even remember. Central, <laughs> Af- Central African Republic International, but um, unfortunately didn't make an appearance for Swindon in the, in the league anyway. The indecision off the field is enough for Paul Sturrock to think, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not dealing with this. And his beloved yeah. Plymouth Argyle come in for him, so it's a no-brainer as far as yeah. he's concerned. Yeah. Football's full of these sort of moments how disappointing because he he referred to you as his goalkeeper how disappointing was it losing Sturrock for you yeah it was it was um I was gutted because it was you know like as like you say I had that kind of trust he was my yeah I was his like you say I was his goalkeeper and I felt like I had I had a manager who trusted me and and I could build on that you know but then you know I there were the parts of me that were thinking he's gone to Plymouth uh, in the championship, you know, uh, you never really know what could happen, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, he did allude to when he left. He's like, well, you never know if you guys, you know, I've got to go. It's Plymouth, it's my club. And you never know. You, you, you never know what some of you might look like in green, you know. And he sort of said that as, you know, as he's kind of leaving, you know. And you kind of think, well, hang on a minute. I, I wouldn't mind to go in the championship, you know. And, um, and yeah, so. He took literally none of you. Yeah, well, I, I, it's funny because I think literally like the week before he left, I got injured in training. Yeah, I done my groin in, and yeah, I was like, I was, I still, I was doing. I think I was doing. I wasn't, I wasn't setting the world on fire in League One, but I was still doing okay. And then I, I sort of, uh, I done my groin in, and then it, obviously it ended up being a lot worse than I kind of thought. That is, I think it's the summer after. I think that was when um, McCormack. It was he, he got done. He had that accident. Yeah. And um, he actually he did actually try and sign me, but that got kind of blocked. I think I don't know the reasons why, but I think it was all it was all pretty much done. And then I think something like he didn't he didn't want to didn't want to take me away from his mate. Apparently, <laughs> but then you don't know you hear these things, you don't really know what's true and what's not true. Yeah. But yeah, he did actually try and try and get me. I did speak to him a couple of times, and it didn't it didn't actually quite happen. So what we got in return, and, and again, the fans assume that Storrocks pull some strings to help the next manager come in and that, because it's his old teammate from Dundee United, Morris Malpass. Yeah. Big, big task on his hands. Just yeah. about to um, get those new owners. What was your relationship with Morris like? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Malpass never seemed to be sure who he preferred out of you and, and no. Peter. Um, no. So, you know, to the, be honest, the floor is To yours. be honest, I was, again, I was very... The first thing he said to me, Morris Malpass, was, and to Peter, to be fair, um, I hate goalkeepers. Um, that was the first thing he said, <laughs> you know. And then you think to yourself, well, blimey, that's a way to make an impression. Yeah. But, you know, at that point, I had I had an injury, and it was worse. It was it was quite a bad injury. And I was out for a while, and then obviously he's there. And I didn't do very well, you know, mm. especially not up to how I had been doing. And I, I tried to get back from my injury too soon because I don't think we weren't doing very well and I think there was kind of a bit of a can you get back quick because we need you to get back sort of thing yeah. I remember playing my first game back I can't remember who it might have been against Warsaw I think you know I was hoping hoping that you know oh, I, I can come back and I can do well but I can remember playing in a game and I was very restricted in what I could do and I was thinking to myself I was never going to say oh, I can't play I'm not fit but I was like oh my god I, I'm not I'm not ready you know mm. Um, and then that kind of led to some, you know, not feeling great and, and being restricted and and then not playing very well, you know. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, if you don't play very well, 
then that's what happens. And then the manager can't really make up his mind. But I mean, I can't blame him because I didn't, I didn't do very well. I know why I didn't do very well, but it wasn't his fault. Yeah. Um, and then um, he couldn't really, yeah, he couldn't really decide. I don't know how Peter felt at the time, but you know, his it was a bit inconsistent to say it, and the whole team was, and it was just couldn't neither could could work out what to what to kind of do, you know. Mm. Do you think, given what you've just said there, so the situation is Morris has two goalkeepers who aren't in the form of their lives, shall we say, and mm-hmm. you're not fit. Do you think? The fact that he was so heavy with his rotation during during his tenure, do you think that was unhealthy? He should have just stuck with one and let the other let you recover. Well, to be fair, I don't think he, he could just say let me recover because I said I was okay. You yeah. know? And when I can try, I could train. I was I was kind of in pain and a bit restricted in in kind of movements and everything because you know the injury was worse than was sort of originally kind of diagnosed and was thought of. And, you know, it said it was a double hernia and you'd be back in two weeks. And I trained in two weeks, but then when the painkillers wore off, I couldn't walk. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot worse than I remember. I remember in the summer, I was in the swimming pool in the summer and, you know, I was thinking I was in pain, you know, I was in pain all the whole season, really. It's, you know, it got better towards the end of the season, but you, I'm never going to say I'm not, I'm, I wasn't that type of player to say, I'm not quite right. I don't want to play. You know, if I could, if I could felt like I could do something, then I was fit enough. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I think, you know, I think he didn't really feel Peter probably suffered because he didn't, you know, back him Hmm. uh, or maybe he didn't feel like he could, you know, the same. He didn't feel the same maybe after his injury straight away. Hmm. And it was kind of difficult. And I think he probably knew that both of us had, you know, the potential to do better. And it was frustrating for him. So it was kind of like, you got two good options, and nothing, you know, nothing's really setting you on fire. But so you kind of keep flittering back between the two. So he kind of won his, obviously his fault. But then he, there were things that, you know, the whole place wasn't kind of right, and you know, not just but not just the goalkeeper situation, but other players that weren't, you know, it wasn't right. We weren't the only ones that were suffering confidence-wise. I think the whole team was, you know. Sure, yeah, it, it certainly felt that way from mm. our side of things. How? How is I mean I think John Glanville's your your coach at this stage with the goalkeepers yeah. is that right? How, how important is it for the coach of the goalkeepers to try and sort of keep you keep you keep you going so to speak? Yeah, it's so important and yeah. it was tough because he obviously he he knew we used to have intimate conversations you know the three of us and, and everything like that and he'd obviously want to do well and he you know his job became under pressure because. Mm. We wasn't performing and, and everything like that, and he's like, I don't understand it, and you know, you know, what can we do? And we used to go through videos, and we used to go through, but it was never really that kind of thing with with the manager, mm. and you know, it, it was always, yeah, it was a kind of a separate kind of thing. There was never really like you felt like you'd go to him, really have a conversation, and really sort of say, do you know what, Gaffer, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm struggling. I've come back too soon. You know, I, I shouldn't be doing this, or you know, I'm really struggling in a minute. Um, or whatever, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where you can sort of all feel comfortable in saying, you know, I'm having a tough time. You leave me out, sort of thing. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't really. He didn't really have that kind of approachability about him. You know, this... I think everyone kind of suffered from that because it was, a, it was very much a, a weird kind of setup. Not setup, but a weird environment. Um, sort. Of. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. weird environment. Yeah. Boys. 
This is a bit sort of bleak. This is this is this this certainly seems like the toughest part of your Swindon career from the yeah. outside looking in. And of course, football fans are football fans. We don't forget. And this is yeah. the era where you do make some high-profile mistakes. And the most notable, of yeah. course, is the free kick against against Leeds United, where it fumbles and yeah. goes in. It's the only goal there, down to ten men because she yeah. was sent off. It's it was tough to take because you know again us lower league fans we want to beat Leeds don't we and yeah. this is yeah, as good yeah, a chance yeah. as we've ever done that and we do it under Danny Wilson a couple of years later so it's brilliant but the yeah. problem with this for you is this is in many ways rightly or wrongly this was your legacy game for a lot of fans where it yeah. doesn't matter if you save five penalties a week for four years yeah there's that bloody fumble against Leeds United hanging over yeah. your head. How tough is that psychologically for a goalkeeper? Yeah, massive. Mm. Uh, especially for me, because I'd never made a mistake like that in the game. I mean, I've made mistakes like in games. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I've never, I've never made a mistake like that in a game. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure you, you might get somebody who <laughs> says different, but I can't remember. I can't remember ever making a, a mistake like that in a game. And I was so. Again, it was one of those where I wanted to do, trying too hard probably, wanted to do really well. I knew it wasn't going great. Oh, I could do more or, you know, this is the chance to kind of really kind of cement it. And then, and then yeah, and then I make that mistake. And it's like literally, like you say, it's like night and day. I've gone from being people sort of being so happy with me and getting, I'm getting praise from people, you know, and, you know, you know, everyone's happy with me and everything like that. So then all of a sudden it became very difficult for me at Swindon. All of a sudden, I'm like the worst, you know, the worst thing ever, you know, the worst goalkeeper, terrible, awful. And then it leads on, I make, I make other mistakes. And again, I'm, I, sure. you know, I'm struggling. I'm not 100%. And like, you know, this is this, this is the start of the year of a bit of sort of, you know, the media and, and comment and, and sort of chat rooms and Twitters and things like that. The start of that kind of era where it's like, People are writing what they want, and you know. Whereas I, I didn't mind listening to it before because everything was positive. All of a sudden, I'm getting a lot of negative kind of feedback and a lot of negative kind of comments and and the things about me. And it's like I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. I didn't deal with it very well at all. No, I mean you do just have to sort of shut off from that part of like that yeah. part of life, and that's not healthy in its own right. If if you, no. I, I do feel that goalkeeper errors seem to be less forgiving for those say if a centre forward misses two yarder they've they've got more opportunities to make amends and goalkeepers don't as much I mean you might have done a world class save later in that game but because the game finished 1-0 doesn't matter does it and do do you think goalkeepers it is tougher in that respect when errors are made that we are less forgiving yeah, absolutely. Because that, that is, that's exactly it. That you, you think about David Seaman and what a great goalkeeper David Seaman was. And a lot of the time, people, all they want to talk about is the Brazil goals. You know what I mean? And, and Or, you know... Naeem. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you think to yourself, really, out of all the things that that, that that guy's done, that's sort of what you remember. And, I mean, I think I always felt like that there was... I was one kind of always one kind of mistake or one bad game away from, you know, people yeah. wanting Peter back in a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt that, but it didn't bother me at the time because I was doing well. But 
then they'll make, you know, and I always felt like I was always classed as the second rate sort of citizen, if you like. Yeah. And it, it's hard. And it is people just, just remember, like you say, I can't. But then again, I can't remember anything about that game. Other than the Apart end. from that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, a part of that. And I think I think what's his face? The forward. I think he punched me in the, in the bollocks. But um, that's kind of all I remember from that game, you know. I think it's a really good point about Seaman, for example, because Seaman did that world-class save in the FA Cup from Paul Pesha Salido. Yeah, best, but, best save ever, that one. Best save I've ever seen. But you'll also see somebody say, Pesha Salido should have finished it. Not like yeah. he's he's pulled that out of thin air and yeah. he's, he's, he's done... It's a world-class save. And But you'll still get people that will say, nah, Pesha Salido, it's a bad miss, not a great save. And you're just like, well, come on. You know? yeah, no, <laughs> Have yeah, you tried no. doing that? You know? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And you can't, you know, it, it, the fact of the matter is it, it didn't go in. He saved, exactly. he stopped it, he'd done his job. It doesn't matter what Pesquilido did or didn't do. Yeah. Didn't go in because of David Seaman. That was, but if David Seaman wasn't there, it would have gone in. Yeah. So you, you've, you've, you've talked about the Malpass tenure a little bit and what ultimately went wrong. It just seems... I mean, things are better in the boardroom. Andrew Fitton, Andrew Black's consortium are now in control, but things don't seem to click immediately and Malpass is sent on his way. Mm-hmm. David Byrne, who's been a guest on this podcast, comes in as coach, uh, well, comes in as caretaker manager. How did you find Budgie and, and did you feel that he could have done the job permanently? I don't know. It's a tough one with Budge because he was always around the youth team uh, and everything like that. And he, he was kind of like, I don't mean this, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I never saw him as being the first team manager mm-hmm. just because of, of the way he'd been around with the kids and, and, and kind of like, it was hard. I think it would have been hard for him to turn it around. And say, well, now all of a sudden I'm the first team. I was almost like a player becoming the manager Yeah. Um, in that terms of that. You could say what you want to him or have a laugh with him or, uh, you know, be around the kids or, do you know what I mean? And then yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to switch to switch into them becoming, you know, the main man. I think it would always be difficult for him. Nowadays, people that are successful in youth coaches and, and academy coaches, they won't come out of that environment no. because it's it's the, it's safe and it's what they know and they're successful in it. You know, and, and... throws in for the injured Alan Sheehan here this evening. Christian Daly has lost out to Charlie Austin. It's a clinical finish. And it's the same old story. Charlie Austin scores for Swindon Town. What was quite unusual about that time in Swindon history is we had the same two first-team goalkeepers for three seasons, um, (laughs) which is almost unheard of now, really. And Peter leaves uh, after season three. And it must have been... I mean, he he was your... direct work colleague for three years pretty much that must yeah. have, it must have been sad to see see him go yeah it, it was you know but I think we both had such a tough year that year do you know what I mean and, and then obviously but then again at the end you know I felt like I'd done well at the end because we stayed up and I felt like towards the end of the season I kind of you know made up a little bit with performances and things like that that's the year Danny Wilson come in didn't wasn't yeah, it yeah that's right yeah I kind of made up for it and that we you know in that respect and he kind of was a bit he, he wasn't you know he still wasn't very happy but yeah it was it was weird but then we've been through quite a bit you know he had a bad injury I'd had a bad injury we had a tough year I think we kind of both 
felt like you know changes were coming do you know what i mean yeah. whatever way it was going to go or and needed a bit do you know what i mean well in in came danny wilson as you said and he brings in david lucas and we've also yeah. weirdly and fascinated by jacob jesse and kowski because because <laughs> we had mark scott as well it just seemed like what do we need four goalkeepers for but he comes in a little bit afterwards yeah. How I mean, let's talk about Danny Wilson first. Danny Wilson seemed to be very, very popular, especially in the. Yeah. That, I mean, he saved us from relegation first and foremost. Yeah. Very impressed when he first came in. You know, mm. very impressed because again, it changed where we'd had the coaches. I mean, Dennis Wise was very articulate and very well prepared. Paul Sturrock, a different approach. You know, it wasn't so much about tactical boards and this and that and preparation so much. It was just about what we would, we'd done. Malpass, do you know what? It's the weird thing about Morris Malpass is I can't even bloody remember what, what we used to do with him. It's very weird. Um, and then Danny Wilson was, again, back to very kind of tactical, very, you know, clear in what he was doing, preparation. You know, Peter Shirtliff as well. Love Peter Shirtliff. Again, it was like, it's like not... It was like okay, now we now we got a chance of doing something with this guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When you first come in, so it's definitely when you I'm very impressed when you first come in, like you know. Two thousand and oh, what's this? Two thousand and nine summer. Now, the season itself, you don't play that much, but the loads of yeah. eventful games. So we'll get to that in just yeah. a minute. But what was your working relationship with David Lucas? Because he was a known goalkeeper, established yeah. with Preston. Sheffield yeah. Wednesday, Leeds, been there, done that. You've got Jacob, yeah. this unknown guy from Poland and young Mark Scott as well. Again, I was a bit, I mean, I could understand it, obviously, but again, I was disappointed because I thought I'd done well for him, you know, in the lead at the end of the season. Mm. And I remember sort of saying, you know, I remember him saying, oh, no, you definitely, you've, you've got a fair crack of the whip. You know, you both, the shirt's up for grabs, blah, 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 blah. And I, I believed him. And it was, you know, it, it didn't take long to kind of work out, you know, David Lucas. He didn't come down to Swindon to to fight for his place, really. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was, you know, he done really well that year. So I'm not I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. But, you know, it was, it was, it would have been hard for me to, to overturn that kind of thinking. And then I think pre-season, everything was okay. I was a bit kind of, disappointing because I see the way it was going and then the first couple of weeks I think I um they asked me to go out on loan to Forest Green and I said no and after everything uh, all I'd been through to get out of non-league and how kind of well I'd done and everything like that I didn't I just didn't want to just give up and just go back yeah and I didn't go and he had he did he weren't happy with me because um, I think is is it Halliday was the manager I think he kind of already said that he was going to go and he's like well why aren't you going why don't you want to go you know, this and that. And I'm like, I just don't, you know, I've worked so hard to get where I am now. I don't want to just go back. And because like you say, we had Mark Scott, just signed the Polish lad. And I thought, you know, it's, it's just don't, you know, I mean, he's a lovely, a lovely boat, the Polish lad, but he wasn't as good as Mark Scott. And, you know, it just all smelled a bit. He would have gone on the bench. And I was like, do you know what? I don't like this. And I was kind of like, it felt like they was trying to then get me out, even though I just signed a new contract yeah. you know, over the summer. I just felt like, well, hang on a minute now now what's going on and then I was on the bench that Saturday and then David come off injured I think um, in that game when we ended up winning that one so it was kind of like a bit of justification that, that I was happy to stay and then it just kind of went from there and I think then I don't know nothing else was said about it really but it, yeah it just like you say at that point I didn't really feel great but then again I was you know I was needed and I was used and when I was needed and when I was used I felt like I'd done well uh, yeah it was kind of a weird without like there was no real rouse or clearing the air or anything like that but it just kind of you know turned around I'd done well my attitude was always good um you know we were winning I played in a couple of games you know I think then that became kind of apparent that it was because David 
you know, I'm not saying he was injury prone, but there was a couple of times, you know, I definitely played more, come on as, you know, as a sub or a replacement injury more than I've ever done ever in in a season, you know. Yeah, over but, over the two seasons that you and Lucas are vying, you, 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 you come on at least three times, I think. But yeah, I mean, this, this year was the year of penalty shootouts and we'll get to the playoffs in just a moment. You don't play in the Wolves penalty shootout, but you play in the one against Norwich, which we lose, and you play in, of course, the one at the end as well. And you also have one the following season, I think, against, or oh, actually two seasons later, against Wimbledon as well, don't you? Exeter as well. Exeter as well, of course, yeah, in the uh, in the Johnston's paint. That was th- that season as well, 2009, and we mm. won that one. So... Nowadays, because we, we watch these Netflix documentaries with these teams with not one goalkeeper coach, four or five goalkeeper <laughs> coaches, all with iPads out, who know everything about Macclesfield Town's you know, goalkeeper, which way they dive. Is it yeah. old school 10 years ago still where you're just going on instinct or yeah. was it tactical? Yeah, no, instinct yeah. or luck, whatever one you want to call it. But it was only the Wimbledon one that I had a bit of prep for. Yeah. The others was just was basically just just luck. But in, in but in, in that, I can't remember, I think the Exeter one, I can kind of remember playing against one or two of them or seeing one or two of them take a penalty before and kind of thinking about that, you know. So, yeah, it was it was very much a kind of like, we don't know. They always used to have, it would always be for quite a while, the penalty taker, this is where he went last time, you know? Yeah. Um, we did have that information, but that was just for a game, not for a penalty shootout, you know? I mean, this is, this season, the season where you play the, you know, you, you don't play as much minutes as the others, even in your final year, you play more times. Um, but it's one of the most eventful for you. Um, yeah. I mean, you come on in a big game against Brighton, um, yeah. and you come on early on, we win, yeah. uh, Charlie yeah. scoring um, the only goal, which is great because we hate Brighton at that stage because of <laughs> um, everything that fell before. Then you get to go to the to St. Mary's, you know, you're 20,000 fans, you get a clean sheet as well. This is where we're cooking at this stage as well. So it must have been good to be a part of that. You play in that Norwich game as well where Gordon Greer scores in the last minute. So you're, you're, you're playing your part. And I yeah. know it's not as much as you would like, but surely yeah. you're feeling it. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's the thing. It's, that's what I was saying like earlier. It didn't nothing really happen. It just, I said, I was involved, and it kind of felt like I was needed and, and appreciated, if you like, because when I went in, things kept going. It wasn't like, oh, oh Jesus, feels in. You know, we, we got to be careful. It was just like things carried on as normal, yeah. and that felt really good to me. And and I think that was kind of like where where it like was sort of the thing with me, and sort of again the justification that I didn't want to go out alone, and I wanted to be a part because. You know, I felt like I could, you know, I had a part to play. I didn't think I was going to play games or anything like that, but I just felt like I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to be around, you know. I, I, I had something of value and, and I did feel part of it. And like I say, it was everyone was doing well and, and it was just, yeah, it was nice to be a part of it. This is a hell of a good squad as well. We've got yeah. Gordon Greer, Scott Guthbert yeah. at the back. You've got Stephen Darby on loan at the end. And I've yeah. got like Jean-Francois. What was Jean-Francois like? I've got to ask. I haven't asked anyone in this yet. He was all right. He was... He was quite quiet, like, yeah. but he could lose, like, he could lose his shit, like, for, for nothing, you know, um, and like really be a bit, a bit nuts, like. But then he wouldn't take long to calm down, and he'd be all right. And he was a bit, you know, he didn't speak the best English either, so he wouldn't really know what was going on. But yeah. he could, like, he could lose his shit every now and then. But generally, he was quite quiet, to be fair. And we have that midfield: Danny Ward, Ferry, Jonathan Douglas, J.P. McGovern. I don't think, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't struggle to get a better midfield than that with Swindon over the last ten or so years. 
Yeah, I know. It was, and it was, you know, I mean, JP, when JP turned up again, it was like, you know, this 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 geezer's pretty, you know, he's got a bit about him as yeah. well. Uh, you know, stepping up a level when we went up to League One when he turned up. And, yeah. you know, there was, like you say, when, then when we signed, you know, Dougie and, and Dave Lucas and, and, and obviously Gordon, it's like, yeah, we, we you know, we're stepping up and everyone, you know, it all worked and everyone was doing really well. So it was... It was, it was, and then winning, winning's the biggest thing. If you win, everyone loves it. Everyone loves everyone. Do you know mm. what I mean? If, when you're winning, everything's easy. Every, everyone's, everyone's great blokes. Everyone's happy. Do you know what I mean? It's, well, it's, it's true, no, isn't it? Yeah. No one's really got a problem because you're winning, everyone's happy. You haven't got to do anything. You haven't got to deal with anything. You haven't got to deal with any problems. So, Karushi's delivery and Carl! We'll talk about instant impact. His first touch brings Swindon an equaliser. We've got to talk about it now then. So we've got to talk about Charlton in the uh, in the playoffs. So we win the first leg and we go to the Valley with a very slender lead. It's a shame that we conceded that goal to Dion Burton in the first game. And yeah. it, it just seems to be true Swindon sort of capitulation in the mind. Yeah. And every football fan will say the same. So after five minutes, Lucas falls and he injures himself and you come on. Nothing wrong with that at all. And then Simon Ferry scores the daftest own goal that you'll you'll ever see, where he he's on the line and he shins it in. Dave Mooney scores just before half time with a good finish. Nothing you can do about that, and it feels like Swindon are done. Yeah. How are you feeling? Yeah. How are you feeling at this stage? So you've had to mentally prepare to get on. You know, I, I can't I can't even remember. I, I, can rem- I can remember like just. Um... I can remember just feeling so like because I I blame myself for the goal. I think I should have done a lot better with a corner. I just just got <laughs> sort of just pinned by the blood, and I weren't you know I was just got stuck. I didn't really move, and, and I should have done a lot better. And that's why that's why Simon shinned it because I don't I think he expected me to get something on it. I think. But you know then I'm thinking you know I, I can just remember it. I, I mean and then when I used to play, I mean I only ever ever really used to listen to the manager when they were talking to me. A lot of the time I was just thinking about what I'd done and what I had to do next sort of thing. And I was just thinking, fuck's sake, right? It, it's after everything we've done, now he's gone off injured and everyone's going to blame me for us going out. You know, we was going to, we was all set, ready to go to playoffs. Now everyone's just going to blame me because we've, you know, I've gone in and we've, we've conceded two goals. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. a bit, a bit like that. That's kind of, you know, but that, that's all I can kind of remember about it really. Yeah. I mean, it looks a chart and a cruising in that second half. Nothing's really happening. They they shouldn't yeah. try and kill the game off, but it's still, it's still you know, I'm sure the commentators are saying it's still nicely poised. And then out of the blue, lovely yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Darren Randolph, who became a very established higher level goalkeeper, has a mix up and, um, and Danny Ward st- steals in. And then it's just about holding on it felt like we were playing for penalties even though there was extra extra time and another 15 minutes to go in the game it felt like we were just gonna just hold on and then we get to penalties and I know Nicky Bailey but it's one of the most composed penalty shootouts I mean what you face are four the best penalties I think I've ever seen no and that's the thing I I kind of like obviously I fancy myself in the penalty shootouts. You know, it, uh, you know. You, sometimes you feel like you got a chance and you haven't. But I, I, whenever I played the Swindon and penalty shootouts, I feel like I've got a chance. I don't know. It's just, just through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I've got a chance here. I'm going to save one of these. I'm going to save at least one. I'm sure of it. Um, and he's missed the. I nearly got the first one. Yeah. 
Dion Burton, yeah. That just the pace to beat us. And then, um, like I say, the others were just... Bailey's the best penalties I've ever come up against. Absolutely and it's like, incredible, weren't they? Forced to yeah, it was forced to Daly and Richardson. When Christian Daly steps up, you're like, okay, there's a chance yeah. here because he's a centre back. I think he was a forward when he was a kid, but yeah. you think, and then Fraser Richardson's he misses, it's over, and he puts it in. Top, yeah, the post was he a was he a fullback? Yeah, he was, was a he? right back, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right in the top corner. You think, oh wow, and, yeah. And Swindon seemed to almost miss. I think, I think like JP definitely gets lucky. He kind of scuffs it to the corner. Um, Charlie looks like he's injured, and I think he's playing. I think he's play acting just to make it look like uh, he he's hurt, and because he sort of has a giggle on the way back, he might be just nervous to be honest um kevin and mankwa I've, I've said this before in the podcast i've gone oh kevin's missed kevin, <laughs> kevin's missed this because you know he doesn't score goals or whatever and then he gives it's, it the it's, big ones about kevin and mankwa what a player he, oh, right? brilliant. he was he was one of my favorite apart from i mean it's difficult because him and jack were my, my one of my favorite kind of players but they both in the same position but what what a player he was yeah and then and then danny scores his and then Derby. I mean, if the if Randolph picks the right way, he's saving it. I think, but yeah, uh, it was a great moment for. Again, this was going to all lead to the question, but let's let's go with the happy side of it. <laughs> the the aftermath of that, yeah. you can still watch it today online. It just it it was it was we did genuinely feel like it, you got the impression that we felt we were done, and yeah, this might this might be something great. Yeah. No, exactly that, and it, it was like literally, like you say, you go from, go from like thinking, thinking to yourself, like it's not our time, you know, the luck's gone against us. Gordon, Gordon with his um, with the with his, uh, what's he thinking? The, yeah, the boot, the boot <laughs> in the chest, and you just think, you know, it's just all gone. It's just our, our chance has gone. Like you know, it's like it's not our night. It, it's not our year. We got close to getting up automatic, and we've fallen out, and then all of a sudden, it just all. It just all changes, and then you think to yourself, "No, hang on a minute! It really is our night," you know. Mm. And um, yeah, and it just felt like, like you say, it could be something special going on. You know, getting, you know, obviously going to the final. You think you back yourself, and you think we got a chance here. You never know. So yeah, you, just, uh, you come away from that thinking, you know, wow, you know, what what a chance, what an opportunity, and you feel confident straight away. And in hindsight, of the three finals we've had. At Wembley, this side of the year 2000, so Millwall, Chesterfield, and Preston. This is the one that, in retrospect, we had the most chance to, yeah. to get out. And at the time, it, it felt like Millwall had a quite a comfortable victory, other than the bobble for for Charlie. Let's let's talk about the fact that Lucas was picked. Mm-hmm. Was he fit? As far as I know, because um, yeah, because when you go off a week or two before in a sling. Yeah, for a goalkeeper, that, that that doesn't. I didn't want to admit it, but I was thinking to myself, "I'm, oh my god, I'm going to play in the, I'm going to play at Wembley against Millwall, against Millwall." You know, um, and obviously people are asking me the questions. I've done interviews with newspapers. I've done interviews with with Millwall newspapers. You know, um, and I didn't want to get too excited. I didn't want to say, "No, no, I'm going to play," because you know, obviously I would have got, you know, shot in the foot because David, you know, Dave was 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 okay in the end. But I, I kind of knew if there was half a chance that he was okay, or if he was, you know, seventy percent fit, that they would go with him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know. Only they would have probably know how he felt before the game. But 
it didn't take long because we had a few days off. It didn't take long after we got back into training to sort of realise that, that we probably were going to be okay. So, yeah, but again, like you say, come off in a sling. You're thinking to yourself, well, you know, if he's in a sling, it could be a couple of weeks at least before he's out of the sling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was probably more like a few hours. I, mean, I don't even recall there being, other than the goal and Kevin scores an own goal, which is disallowed, luckily for him, um, yeah. with a bullet header. Um, I think it was a bullet header. It was a bullet, regardless <laughs> of where it went in. It, remember, because I watched it up in the northeast. I didn't go, yeah. manage to get down because of work. It was one of these games where... Robinson scores, and other than that, and the bobble, I don't really remember much from it. No, no, it was, a, it was from what I remember, it was just a bit of a nothing yeah. game. Like you say, we didn't really, they didn't have loads of chances. No. It was a nothing game. It was a, 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 like a real proper KG one nil kind of kind of game, you know. And there was nothing, and uh, uh, yeah, and that was the kind of thing. It, it wasn't like we, obviously, we felt like with Charlie's chance that, you know, we, not hard done by, but it was like, well, it was a bit. A draw probably would have been a fair result over the ninety minutes, probably. You know? I think so. I think so. I think um, no one would have begrudged Swindon had had they scored that. What happens in extra time and and penalties yeah. is by the by, and you know it's one of those things. But considering they had Harris and Morrison up front, you know it just. I look at that. I probably in my pessimistic football self, self. No matter how great we just we've done Leeds over, we've done everyone pretty much other than Norwich over that year, and yeah. it just it just felt like. And just like all the other Wembley finals that we've had, it just feels like we just the occasion gets to us, and yeah. and and then that's that. And I mean, how hard is it to recover from that? Because most of you stay, only Billy goes, and the lone players go. How how much impact does that have going into the next season, which of course was a disaster? Mm. I don't know because you see, I mean, you do see it a lot where where people you know, consistently get into the top six and consistently get into playoffs, you know. It, it does happen, but then it's also not uncommon to see what happened with us. We're a team who're in the playoffs one year or close and then the next year, you know, it all falls apart, like, you know. Mm. Um it's just one of that. I think we you take that that effort to kind of get into that kind of situation and probably people didn't expect us to be in that kind of situation. You think you know to, to 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 get to go again is is can be you know can be difficult. I mean that season. I mean when I was talking to Simon Ferry, he talks about like the atmosphere in that first season was one of the best atmospheres in the in a state, one of the best dressing rooms he's ever experienced. Yeah, and it was quite the opposite the following year because there seemed to be divides and cliques forming. You know, I'm not going to say his name. Prutton. Um he, he gets mentioned a couple of times over the last year when talking to people. Like they just bring this new and the Leeds players sort of buddy together and it, it just doesn't click yeah. and, and Charlie yeah. Austin's goals are pretty much keeping us up and we have that game against Charlton on TV um, yeah. and I think we won well and it feels like that's the, the turning of the tide I think yeah. you're interviewed in the press and you say well, you know, we've not given up on the playoffs yet <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, what went wrong that what, that season? I think, yeah, there was. It definitely became a bit. Some people rubbed some people up the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Definitely, some people showed the manager a complete kind of disrespect, and then it was kind of gone from there. Mm-hmm. Really, were they new players or were they players from the previous year? Well, it kind of. 
it kind of a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think we basically, I think new players coming in had kind of then maybe started, and then old players kind of joined in because they were kind of mates, if you like. And then it does get a bit like that, a little bit like us and them. And when things don't go well, you go back into your shell and you go back into your what you know and you go back you know with your mates and then you know with things start i'm not saying people start talking or anything like that but you just feel comfortable and everyone's on edge when you're not doing well it's not like people sit there and like point fingers but everyone's on edge mm. because it's like you know is everyone blaming you know is everyone well i know what i'm like anyway sure is everyone blaming me does everyone think it's my fault or you know when we when we done this or i didn't do very well does everyone think it's my fault and nobody wants to talk to me because i did it do you know what i mean or yeah. Um, and then it, it's like that's sort of an insecurity, sort of a mind frame sort of thing. But and then when there's people sitting there and you know laughing and, and you don't really get on well with them, and it's a bit. I mean, we went on we went on preseason tour to Austria, yeah. and we all got put in our rooms, and um, a, a bit of a joke because I mean I'm everyone knows me, everyone knew me as quite quiet. Do you know what I mean? And, and a bit kind of reserved or whatever. And then Prutz turns up, you know, he's all loud and he's all sort of bashful and he's all like. <laughs> over exuberant and all that sort of thing and um and then they give out the rooms and then he goes uh, danny wilson goes and dave and dougie together because they always used to room together and then he's like uh Prutz and phil and i'm like oh, for fuck's sake like uh, like as a joke sort yeah. of thing and then um and he's like well what and so he could blame me for having a bad attitude you know what i mean but i was only mucking about but and then basically he just went in with Dave and, and, and Dougie for the for the week. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, straight away, I'm thinking, you know, is that because he just doesn't, you know? Yeah. Oh, is it my fault? I didn't say nothing for that because I was quite happy. I had a room for my own for the week. But, <laughs> um, but again, it's like, you know, weird things like that kind of happened. And, but they had, you know, it was it was kind of weird. Yeah. It was kind of weird like that. Well, I remember because Pratt was at Colchester before. But he's this thing. Pratt is not a bad guy. No, 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 no. And he's, and he's doing really well for himself. But yeah. what I remember from that time, because I was desperate for us to sign Pratt because he was a known player. I mean, probably more known for, for going crazy when he was at Southampton. But he was an established football league player. And I was desperate for Town to sign him. So I was over the moon when he did. But then... I started worrying because he did an interview with, you know, the um, Chris Tanner probably was doing it with the uh, with, with the online stuff. And he was sat on the floor in Austria, face like thunder, saying, well, when I was at Leeds, we stayed in the hotel next door and it's better than the chalets that we've got here. You know, I was thinking, yeah. oh boy, welcome to yeah. Swindon, buddy, because this isn't Leeds United anymore. But, um, yeah, no. but, but you know, I've, I think Billy, was, Billy Bowden was saying that you know, he led he sort of asleep at the back of a bus without interacting with the players for a reserves games and that sort of stuff. And even if you're not, you're just looking after yourself or you're just doing it because you just, you know, he's, he's... it wasn't that. It wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't like he went out of his way to make no. people feel uncomfortable or anything like that. But he obviously wasn't happy with with things and he wasn't happy with certain things. Whether it was maybe he thought he made a mistake for signing, you know. But then you know he. It kind of rubbed off. It others. kind of rubbed off on people, yeah. and it rubbed off on, you know, he was best mates with the captain. Yeah, and you know that's you know that's not, and it wasn't. You know, I'm not saying you know again. And, and Dougie, Dougie's not a bad bloke either. But if he's best mates with him and he's not sorting him out, and yeah. he he can see that he's got a bad, and he's not sorting him out, it's not. You know, if you know, if he's one of his best mates, he's not going to sort him out. But 
Dougie was so good in that first season, and he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't awful in the second. But he just again, we just didn't. See he just to... got he got frustrated yeah. in the second season, and and then again, and then it gets kind of wrapped up. And then if it's sort of he he was frustrated, we wasn't doing very well, and it there's the frustrations come out. And then I guess because they're close, and it just it just it, it all just kind of went tits up. Magira, Gabalondo cuts inside. He's gonna tee this up. 1-0, it's number 29, Lucas Magueira, runs straight to Paolo Di Canio. He takes the applause, good play down the right. And then Paul Hart comes in. <laughs> yeah. Is that all we're going to go with? <laughs> Very weird, yeah. I don't know, what's, any, what's anybody else said about the Sheffield Wednesday game, obviously, has been spoken about, surely. I mean, not really, no. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Floor's yeah. yours. What happened at Sheffield Wednesday? We'd already been relegated yeah. to Sheffield Wednesday. So we're having, a, we're having the team talk before the game, and only the 11 players that are starting are in, are in the dressing room. Yeah. And... He lays into every single player about how bad they are, why it's their fault we're in the position we're in, how it's, you know, it's obviously, you know, everyone's not happy or not fucking feeling great about ourselves or being relegated. But then, it, surreally, he's almost talking like we've got a chance of staying up. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's like if you go down today, then, you know, and you think we're already fucking down. Do you know what I mean? And But... But literally, and it's it's like it's at the end of the game, and we've lost three 0 and that's got. And, and do you know what I mean? Mm. But he's laid into every single one of us. Basically, just gone on about how if you don't do what you're told, then you're off straight away. If you don't do what he said, and it's kind of weird what he was asking for. It wasn't like a normal, you know. And you just sort of think to yourself, well, we're already relegated. It's been fucking late for all this shit. Do you know what I mean? You know, we're already relegated. Mm. You know, and he's like, if you don't do, I'll 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 leave and or. or it's a bit things like that. It's, it was so weird, and then like I say, all the others wouldn't started, went out uh, onto the side. I think George Wood had to tell him, "Listen, he's, he's giving them pelters in there. If they don't do what they're told, you've got to be ready because you're going to come on." You know, it was so surreal, so weird. And he, I think he thought he had the job as well, or he, I don't know. It was a weird situation because he, he got offered the job but didn't get offered the job. Well, it, it's it's not a. Um, I think it's probably to the end of the season, but he's not caretaker. He is he is the manager of Swindon at that stage. So, I mean, maybe it was based on staying up or whatever. But his departure is very swift as well. Again, very it, very weird. And he was. I mean, he was all right. Mm. He weren't bad. I, I quite liked him to start with, and he was quite good with me and everything. I think I played a few games, but yeah. So, so so weird. Hmm. I can't. It was it was just weird, and he, he was just the, when he came in because he brought in um, the lad from Palace, the forward from Palace. Kel, uh, not, is it Kelvin? It wasn't Kelvin Andrew, was it? Was it uh, Alassie? Yeah. yeah, it was. It was Kelvin Andrew yeah. came in, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we thought we had a chance at, at, at one point, and it just kind of went again. You know, it didn't really go wrong, and we all got the blame, sort yeah. of thing. And that, you know, that's. Fair enough. Yeah, very, very weird kind of situation with that. And again, the name didn't really fit with with what we was after either. It was a very weird kind of weird thing. And I think because the Sheffield Wednesday wasn't the last game, though, was no, it? No, we had a couple of games under Paul 
um, Bowden at the end. I think Oldham and Tramier away. Tramier mm-hmm. away, yeah. Are you out of contract at this stage? Um, no. No, so you have one year left and then... so you well, go, one year left, yeah. <laughs> And it is your last year. But um, then again, the people, you know, players went missing at the end. I know we'd, we'd already got, sort of almost got relegated, but people went kind of missing, you know? And yeah. it, it, we're very, very weird and, you know, very weird. <sighs> what was weird, well, what was annoying... As a football fan during during that stage, and that's the only way I can ever talk. I'm not going to pretend I know what happens behind the scenes, but almost every one of those players who bail in the summer get good gigs afterwards. So you yeah. know, like Dougie and um, gets Brentford, Prutton gets Sheffield Wednesday. They all move on to these established clubs, and you just and the I fans. Think they, I think they went to Birmingham. I exactly, think. and and the fans were just left. We're just left there, you know, and that's one thing that always happens. Like footballers have short careers; they got to do, they got to look after themselves, they got to do what's best for their for their for their futures. Perfectly understandable. But in that time, where you just think all of these people that just crashed and burned for whatever reason in yeah. that second season, and they're suddenly getting the the clubs they deserve to be at on the whole because they're good footballers. But it's just like, well, I'm looking down and I'm preparing myself for Torquay away while these guys are going off to play in the championship. It, it was it was a big... It, yeah. it sort of... It really did great with me at the time, but... Yeah, that, it did for me a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, because you guys have got to be the ones that... I mean, well, obviously we're in the Decanio era now and that era doesn't start well. And you're no. the guys that have to try and pick up the pieces during that. Yeah. And... And we got, to be honest with you, with that, we got branded with the same brush. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you stick around, you're contracted, you don't hand in your, you don't think I'm above League Two or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. you've said that, you know, Paul Sturrock looked at you briefly. So that's not to say that no other League One club would, would like to have a look at you or what have you. And And then suddenly all of that disappears not because we're over the moon, it's just because the whirlwind begins that is <laughs> that is the Decanio era. I mean, yeah. we're already two hours in, so, I mean, crazily enough. Um, right. And this is what I do to people, Phil. Um, when we get cracking, <laughs> suddenly it's, you know, we start on a Tuesday and suddenly it's Thursday, so apologies, but no Paolo Decanio. Yeah, crazy. Absolutely yeah. nuts. Yeah, crazy. And again, that starts off, you know, funny enough, it's weird. You know, funny, you know, I start off that season, the pre-season, injured. Yeah. Because I, I was trying to do a bit. I've heard Paolo Di Canio's coming in or whatever. So I've gone out. I've never done a lot over the summer, but I've gone out and tried to do a couple of runs. And I've done something to my Achilles. Mm-hmm. So I've turned up. I've told them straight away, right? Um, so I've turned up at the beginning of the pre-season and, and I'm injured. And because of all the stuff that's gone on the season before and what he's heard about players before, I've turned up injured. And, and like I said, straight away got tired with the same brush where he doesn't want to be here sort of thing, mm. you know? Um, and obviously it's not the case sort of thing, but yeah. And then like you say, the whirlwind, the whirlwind begins. <laughs> I mean, um, it's great fun, but I mean, it is absolute chaos really. Yeah. And yeah. as much as we all enjoyed it and I'm not, yeah. I'm, I mean, I think if I was, if you did a montage of me talking about the Paolo Di Canio era on this podcast, I think there's a lot of negative and it's, I, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't enjoy it because I yeah. absolutely did that, that, that yeah. half of season in 2011, 12 was amazing. And what we were 
potentially going to go through before he he resigned was even better because we were going yeah. into the championship if De Canio stayed or they kept bankrolling it because that's how football works nowadays you bankroll until until it ends that's fine but we'll stick yeah. to your time there just the amount of I mean sometimes it felt like early on we were bringing in players for the sake of bringing in players and we have people like Atiku who yeah. signs a contract and disappears yeah. and we're signing yeah. Oli Rissa who does really well to start with and then fades away but we don't know who they are the, yeah. I mean at one stage I think those two got contracts because they had a good attitude on day one yeah. you know yeah. that's, that was and the, they weren't bad no, they were no, good contracts no, as well yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, we all hear about what, what money was being dished out and you don't get Leon Clark in, in League in League 2 on, no. on the cheap, do you? No. So, no. I mean, for you, you are now, you are presented with Matteo Lanzano, who yeah. wasn't good enough for Swindon Town, but was was there promise or was he just you know, not quite right? Was it a bit like Jesse Yankowski in that, in that, in that respect? To be honest, I mean, Matthew, he was a, he was a lovely young lad. Yeah. A really nice, um, really, really nice young lad. And they, I mean, they they treated him terribly. Right. Terribly. Because he was a young lad and he was, you know, Italian and, and you know, a foreign country. He didn't really get, he didn't get treated right at all. But yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit kind of like that, that, you know, bless it, he, he, he was good. But I, I just, I did, I had worries, you know, from the start about how he would get on, you know, playing in League Two, you know, hmm. um, and I got told, and fair play to like De Canio, like he told me at the beginning of the year, you're not going to be my number one. Matthew's going to be my number one. But at that, but when we got to that stage, it, we'd been there'd been a whole load of stuff gone on in pre-season, and um, yeah, we we were kind of we 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 had kind of a bit of a bond sort, of, and and he was you know he was fair with me and then everything. And he said I want to look you in the eye and tell you you're not going to play, and, and then you know then he got injured sort of thing. But yeah, I, I did have kind of I weren't sure. I wasn't sure that it was, I needed convincing. I wouldn't say I would, you know. Mm. I needed convincing he was gonna he was gonna be good or he'd be able to do well in League Two. Mm. I've talked about the pre-season camps with De Canio and how hard they are, so we don't need to cover that ground. But the sort of <laughs> it sounds horrible and but at the same time rewarding. So it's it's one of those things. But Duardo. Is it Duardo? Yeah. So, yeah. very highly respected goalkeeper coach. What was your relationship like? Started off pretty frosty. Mm-hmm. Not frosty, but a bit unsure because it was, it was trying to change a lot of things about me. You know, change whereas normally what I was being used to, people would just kind of refine and used to the same thing and, um, you know, the techniques and everything like that. Wanted to try and teach me new, you know, change the way that I... I I was, you know, yeah. I'd done things, which was a bit kind of... Yeah, you're in your 30s at this stage, you know. Yeah, and it's like, okay, almost a bit like, yeah, but why? Mm. But then you can't really get that out because of the language barrier sort of thing. And a lot of the time, what you're dealing with is, you know, mental and physical fatigue a lot of the time, because a lot of the time we were fucked, you know, training and the amount of time we were training and, and everything like that, you know, it was... It was it was difficult, but again, we kind of got through it, and I ended up, you know, ended up, you know, really appreciating him. You know, yeah. it didn't take long, but yeah, ended up really appreciating. Him. You get to know him a bit more, and the barriers start to come down. You realise that he's just trying to help me, and then he realises I'm not just being a dickhead for the sake of being a dickhead, and, and you know, and it all becomes a lot easier. You know, yeah. and obviously, when you start winning games, <laughs> it helps out. <laughs> so, do you? Do you feel we talk we talk a fair bit about being tarnished with the same brush? 
You start the season as number one. It starts well against Crewe, and then there are a couple of narrow losses. Uh, there's the Oxford game, of course, as well. Yeah. And then you're running the side ends in that Southampton, the Leon Clark game. Do you feel yeah. that because you play in that shaky opening, that that it becomes harder for you? Because Di Canio, I mean, to be honest, it, there are other players who would never appeared on the bench again <laughs> if, yeah. if he felt like it. So at least you're still on the bench. At least, do you feel yeah. like that difficult starts, which is not res- you're not responsible for? Um, there are no major clangers or anything like that during that run. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like that's made it harder for you for the rest of the season? Of course, Wes comes in, and we'll talk about Wes in a minute. But yeah, it, it made it tougher for you to establish yourself. Yeah, it, it did because I was never his. I was never his first choice. Yeah. Although, like I say, we ended up getting a bit of a a bit of a bond, you know, through the first few months because of basically things that had gone on over pre-season and the way that I think what it was because he thought. You know, when I turned up injured on day one, he thought, oh, he's one of these that don't want to be here. But then through sort of things that had happened and the way that I trained and, and sort of played at the beginning of the season, I think he kind of realised that I wasn't and was sort of appreciated that a bit. Mm. But yeah, I was never his number one. You know, yeah. he's always wanted to give Mattia a chance. So I think it was the Shrewsbury game was my last one. And there was a goal that I might have done a bit better on. And he said, you know, for me, this my goalkeeper needs to save these, this. And at, at that point, it was getting to a point, like they said, I don't think I could have done any, any better with with any of the saves. But they came out with a stat that I was only saving like fifty percent of the shots on target. Yeah, which you know, as a stat, is terrible. You know, <laughs> but not really a lot I could have done about it. Yeah, um, and then like I say, he wanted to have you know to give material his sort of chance and 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 uh, yeah, and then obviously, I, and then I got I got injured again. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at that season now, and that Shrewsbury game ends with us in 21st, only minus one goal difference, but we're ten points adrift of top spot, and yeah. he comes in, Mattia comes in for that televised game against Rotherham, and he, you know he doesn't shine himself in glory, but we win. Yeah, um, and I that's think, it. And that's because the key. He's losing. It? We kept losing, 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 and then we win a game, and it's you know. I think I saw your last I think it must have been your last league game at the county ground you do play again at the county ground because it's the Wimbledon game but it's against Barnet and it's a very comfortable um, 4-0 that we won but then Wes comes in and I mean when Wes comes in because you're injured as well are you you preparing yourself now for the end of your Swindon career or are you still hopeful that you might get like an extension I'm still very hopeful because at that point I mean, Wes was unproven at that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And again, I came. I had an injury, and I didn't quite realise how bad the injury was, mm-hmm. um, and tried to come back too quick. And really, kind of, I mean, that that season for me, it, it started off okay and, and full of promise and, and things like that. And then, and then it literally was the worst of my life mm-hmm. um, in terms of in terms of injury, in terms of of, of what happened at the end. In terms of, um, it's just the whole thing was yeah. just an absolute nightmare for me. I think, I think I can, I can, I mean, you, again, on the Port Vale game when we, we won the title and we had the medals, you did get a medal. You looked miserable. Yeah. I think mean, we, we won the game. We, well, we got promoted at Gillingham, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. And you, that was a whole hoo-ha and you were brought back in for that, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, because there was, there was a thing about a <laughs> night out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and it, uh, and I'm, I'm from I don't know when it was I think not long after the Barnet game but between that game I'm not trying to like it have people feel sorry for me or anything but from that game I had an injury I had an operation um, things going on and I was in I, if I didn't I was I was dosed up on painkillers and 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 um, Dick for for basically for for six months seven months and if I didn't take them I could barely walk yeah. um, and I was in after that Gillingham game. I didn't feel like I'd done very well. I was in so much pain. Um, I could bet, you know, I just didn't, and I didn't feel like I'd earned it as well, you know? Mm. And uh, I just, uh, I, I I was miserable. We just got promoted and I didn't, I felt like I didn't earn it. I should have earned it. And I was in so much pain. It was, I was just glad it was over, you know? Nice, patient football from Swindon Town. Now the delivery, saved by Elliot on the follow-up though. Matt Ritchie equalises for Swindon Town. What is your relationship like with Decanio nearer to that end when it when it comes to thinking about or hoping about renewals and things like that? Well, really good. I mm. mean, a, a few times he said to me, he's like, "Don't think I don't your your professionalism isn't underestimated. You know, you you keep going. Thank you. I appreciate what you're doing." You know, we'll, we come to the April, we'll talk, we'll get it sorted out. Um, you know, because he knew, he. I mean, like I said, they knew my struggle that year. They knew the issues I was having. They knew that I was in pain a lot. You know, I was seeing specialists. I was seeing, you know, uh, like say operations. I was um, physio loads. You know, they knew that if I, you know, when I didn't take the tablets, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, you know, like I say, I could barely walk, no matter about train or play football. Yeah. Um, and um, so they knew, um, and it, you know, and I kept going, you know, because they needed me to. I kept going, um, and yeah, uh, you know, it was good. You know, uh, you know, he knew I could. I thought he appreciated what I was doing, and you know, I, I could sense that he did because of the way he spoke with me and and things like that. That yeah, that, that everything was good, and I was I was expecting to to come back again, you know? Oh, wow. So how did you find out that you were being released? The adver. Oh, um, wow. The adver put in the paper that three players had been offered new contracts. Yeah. And that the others were, I don't know if they said the others hadn't heard or that that's all they'd heard about people. And when when they say that, that, that three players have been offered contracts, Yeah. you know, well, if they've been spoken to and offered contracts and nobody's spoken to me, you know, that only really means one thing, yeah. you know, because if they wanted to speak to you, they would have spoken to you before the advert knew um, about, you know, you would be in the paper with, with a new deal, you know? Yeah. And and, um, and do you hate, so, and do you sort of like, because after five, six seasons, and that's how you find out, and I don't know, because you're not replaced the following season. I think Lee gets promoted. Yeah. Um, he gets senior contract. You and Mark are released. Um, so they've not brought anyone else. Do you think it's a case of, well, we're going to put all our eggs in, in the basket of where's Fodderingham and, and sort of save money somewhere? Or do you feel like it was just, I don't think there was ever, I don't think there was ever a stage in in the Canio's thing where money was was an issue or money. (laughs) So so it was just poorly, poorly dealt with. I think it was, yeah, and especially after um, like everything I'd been through that year. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, you know, there was personal stuff going on as well that they fully knew about. You know, my injury, 
um, what I, you know, the way I conducted myself over the year, all right, and you know, even performed. I didn't perform badly when I did play, you know. Yeah. But obviously, Wes coming and done really well, and there wasn't, you know, it was obvious. Even if I did stay, I wouldn't be playing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was kind of poorly managed, I think. And uh, as well, after being there six years and everything I've been through, not uh, you know, even before, not only that year, but the, you know, all the years before, I felt like just something to be said other than finding out in the paper would have been would have been a better way of handling it you know but then you know i mean i kind of i know and i understand why i didn't get taken on you know because like i said uh, of my injury you know they probably didn't think they could get anything out of me um which is which is fair enough um although that that brings up a a bit of a can of worms about whether they had a duty of care to make sure i got fit again you know but but yeah i kind of felt like something could have been something could have been done but then it, it wasn't just me nobody did you yeah. know so it wasn't like i got singled out you know nobody got let nobody got told there was letters i think there was letters that they were going to send out and that's and they were still in the office i rang up the office and i said are they are we getting are we getting called in or what's going on and they said well i've got a letter here for you i was like right okay um it's 2012 you know yeah it's you know that's yeah. it's not like yeah. uh, 1982 or anything like that and and i think i think because and i've said this previously that because we're, we're successful we're, we're not thinking anything other than well in in paolo we trust in the club we trust and there are i mean you there are other players that disappear even during the season who were never seen again um, yeah. for various reasons. I mean, people like Lee Cox and so forth that come in, yeah, yeah. Do, a, do a month or two and, and never emerge, even though they're on the books for another se- a year or two. It's, it's, it's yeah. one of those things. So, I mean, yeah. so the, you, you find yourself in this prob- with this problem now where you're injured and unemployed. Yeah, you do get to Portsmouth eventually. But I mean, yeah. again, that duty of care thing. I mean, who, who's helping you get back to fitness if anyone is? No, no one. I'd basically given up. Yeah. Uh, I went on trial at Southend with Paul Sturrock, who was a manager. Yeah. And I'm not fit and I've not done very well. Mm. Um, I'm on trial. I, I, I'm, you know, again, I'm dosed up. I can't, I can't perform as what I want to do. But you're on trial. They say, is everything okay? Do we need to know anything about you before? Do you need any treatments? Or anything? No, no, absolutely fine. And I've got, you know, a stash of diclofenics and painkillers in my, in my bag. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like... Uh, but I didn't do very well. We went out to Madrid. We played a couple of games out in Madrid. I didn't do very well, and and yeah, that didn't that didn't come up. And then at, at that point, it's just like I, I can't I, I can't do it. Um, like I say, I was in I was in pain. The, nobody was was asking for anything, and you know I, I had a, a month's severance pay and and the, the the bonuses for for getting promoted. That saw me through for a few months, and that was it. Really, I was just just nothing. I'd just given up by then. So, but you. I mean Portsmouth, massive club. Yeah, I think Adam Adam Wainwright. I think it was uh, Macca was the sort of assistant down there. He was the youth team manager now. Yeah, and he he was like, well, because they could only sign players that weren't that weren't signed on. Yeah, you know they could only get unattached players. So Macca rung up and said, does anyone have Phil's number? Because we can't. You know <laughs> what's he doing? And then I think Adam Wainwright gave him my number, and he rung me up. The goalkeeper coach rang me up, John Keeley, and I said to him, "Listen, John, I have done nothing for six months. I'm overweight. I haven't caught a ball for six months. <laughs> you know, I've had, I had an injury at the end of the season. I said I don't even know. I might turn up and not be out to walk. He said, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, we've we've seen worse. We've seen worse. I said, no, I'm sure you haven't. You know, I'm really <laughs> sure you haven't seen any worse. He said, no, don't worry about it. Just come down. We'll have a look and we'll see." 
we'll see what goes on. I can remember walking up, walking across with the young lad Simon Eastwood, who's at Oxford now. Mm-hmm. He's a great lad as well, and you know, it, he's like, he's. I was like, so what's been going? Because I'm quite sort of pragmatic about it. I'm sort of having a laugh with him. Um, and he's like, oh my god, we've had so we've had 13 keepers here this season. I said, well, it's going to be 14 soon, mate. I'll be gone tomorrow. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's you know, and um, yeah, and I, I mean, I was fucked after five minutes, but I'd done all right in training. And and they and basically they said, do you want a month? And I'm like, yeah, of course, because I was unemployed. I had yeah. no money. You know, it was coming up to Christmas. I'm like, please, <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. And it turned into a year and a half, didn't it? Or season and a half. And yeah. um, and playing, I mean, you, you only get a handful of games, but you play in front of over 15,000, which only happens once or twice at Swindon. Um, yeah. So, I mean, did that rejuvenate or did it sort of convince you that... It started to, because it gave me a lifeline. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I was, I was, you know, I was in a bit of a bad place, you know, it, you know, not being out of play and everything. And it gave me a bit of a lifeline. And then, um, and then, you know, I was just happy to, to have to have money in my bank at the yeah. end of the month to start with, you know. And then it, it kind of progressed. The hang on a minute, you know, I'm enjoying myself again. You know, it's a great place, a great club to play for. It's a great place to be. You know, they just treat you so well. You know, the club and the supporters and everything. And it was, I was really, really enjoying it. And then, you know, the next season starts. I'm thinking, right, here we go. I'm, you know, I'm going to give it. I'm playing again. I feel okay. Um, still got a couple of issues, but feel okay. I feel I can do what I need to do. I'm ready to give it a, give it a good go. And they signed another keeper, John Sullivan. <laughs> and I'm thinking that Simon Eastwood left. I'm thinking to myself, you know, this could be, you know, I can't remember what I was at the time, 32 maybe, 33, 34. I'm thinking this could be my swan song. Like, you know, I could, I feel good. I'm doing, I was training really well and everything. And then, you know, it, again, it was one of those that, <laughs> I, I think I should have I should have done better basically yeah, um, yeah and then it, it kind of started off okay and it kind of went downhill really mm. and you end your your career in the conference and the national league because it changes names while you're there with with yeah. with older shot was that was it fitness because you play regular um, in those two seasons yeah um, was that was was it in, in the second season was it clear that this is now time to time to finish. Yeah, a bit, but I felt, you know, I felt quite good still, but I'd given up. When I left Aldershot, uh, Portsmouth, I'd given up. I'd had a, I had a job. I thought, you know what, I just had enough. Yeah. You know, and I felt quite relieved in it. And then he, the, the Aldershot manager rang me up and he's like, what are you doing? I said, I've given up. I've got a job. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it anymore. I've, you know, I've had enough, you know, family, whatever. I've, I've just had enough. And he's like, okay. Well, what about if I give you the same money you was on at Portsmouth and you can you know, you train once or maybe twice a week, it's up to you. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, then you can keep your job. And I'm like, oh. So I do it. So I sign and then and then I, 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 I yeah, and then I start enjoying it. Yeah. And then and then I start thinking, well, I don't really want to work anymore. And so I kind of, got, and then I ended up going through a divorce and things like that. So I lost my job and I'm playing football again. And it's like, I'm enjoying it again and playing football. And then towards the end of the next season, it just got to a point, I remember coming off a game, I had a good game as well um, at Eastleigh. And I'm thinking, well, at this time next year, I'm going to be 37. And I just thought to myself, thought, you know, what am I going to do? You know, the wages I was on at Aldershot are only going to go down. Or non-league football wages are only going to go down. I'm not going to get another league club. You know, I can't carry on doing this. It's not, you know, I need to think about my future a bit more, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that was kind of that was kind of the reason why I thought I've got to look to what I can do sort of after. And I kind of did when I left 
Portsmouth. But yeah. you know, when you're leaving, when you're starting from scratch at 36, 37, it's difficult. And then when you're starting leaving at 37, 38, it's even harder. And then if you're talking sort of nearly 40, yeah, you know, starting from scratch is difficult. Because of that gradual wrapping things up, even as early as before you joined Portsmouth, has that made it easier for you to adjust to post football life, or is it just as hard? How how <laughs> No, it's kind of it's it's prolonged it because it's kind of I've gone back a couple of times and it's like yeah it's like going back to an ex missus and it's sort of you think it's all good but then you realise how bad it is and that's why you sort of let them realise the reason why you left you <laughs> yeah. know it, it's uh, yeah it's not yeah I'm still I'm still dealing with it now you know that's why I'm doing my coaching badges I'm still dealing with it now I'm not I've not got used to it yeah because it's a whole new life it's a whole new you know you're not comfortable in what you're doing everything's brand new you know. Yeah. Again, just through looking at your career, for you maintaining a professional career hasn't been easy. You've had to work hard to yeah. to do that. You dropped out for several years. You came back in. You stuck. You stuck around, and you dropped back down again. Well, and that's what I, I earned money playing football for yeah. twenty years. Yeah. Um, so you know, I supported myself, and you know, and, and then my family for twenty years um, playing football, and you know, I'm proud of that. Yeah. And you know, there were there was a lot of stages, you know, early on, like early twenties, and then early teens, where nobody would have thought that, you know. Yeah. Nobody would have thought there was always somebody better than me. There was always somebody was in the, the the limelight more than me. There was always somebody had bigger promise than me. And I always seem to not come out on top, but I always seem to do well for myself, you know. Yeah. And I was, I'm, you know, very very proud of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do sometimes. I do feel like there, that you know, if I some little little things, not you know anybody else's fault, but if there was some different things about myself that I would have done better. Or could have done maybe a bit better. I would have loved to have had a go in the, in the championship, but um, yeah, but still very, very proud of of of, of what I've done. Too right. And as we wrap up, because we have been talking for approximately five days, and we'll probably <laughs> we'll probably want to see the uh, West Brom Villa game and go into extra time. Um, yeah. From on, from a Swindon side, what are your favourite memories, both on and off the pitch? Favourite memories on the pitch. I mean, the Warsaw game. Obviously, what you know, what an amazing day. That that was yeah. for you know from where I come from and that kind of day you know everyone was happy you know and such a big part of playing it that was a massive kind of day obviously the playoff semi final as well sort of my favourite kind of days on on the pitch memorable ones off it is you know the Canio the Canios you can't really get away from from the the Leon um, <laughs> you know that that night. Yeah, that was nuts. You know, I remember him running past the dressing room and because you can't see it. Yeah. You know, I thought, because we weren't doing very well, I thought the supporters had got in and were running after him. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't really sure. I didn't realise it was Leon running away from him. <laughs> um, and then he's come in and I've never seen somebody so, like, you know, outwardly just fuming, just mad, foaming at the mouth and kicking things and throwing things. And he's come up to me and grabbed me by the shirt and, and it's like, he's grabbed me like this, he's grabbed me like that. And I thought he was going to whip me. And <laughs> And it's like never seen anything like it, and then never forget. I'll never forget that. And, I, and then we had a we had a the, the team talk before the Gillingham game. He said, he said, lads, let me tell you. And he was fine, you know, he, not fine, but he, he did have a good. You can't, you know, you can't knock him. He was good at good at getting people going. They're kind of the memorable things for me, really, off off the pitch, I guess. Amazing, um, Phil. It's been an absolute pleasure to go through your your what, six years at Swindon and everything in between. Um, <laughs> not disappointed at all. Thank you so much. No worries, mate. Pleasure.
Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, He's like, lads, let me tell you, I don't know, you might have to cut this one out. Let me tell you, if it was a fight between me and their manager, it would be no chance. There'd be, there'd be no doubt we'd win this. He said, the first thing I'd, I'd run up to him and I'd bite his neck and, and I'd rip his neck out, rip his throat out. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, this geezer's nuts. But everyone's like, yeah, come on. You know, he got, you know, he got, he got everyone going. Like, so, yeah. He... Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy. Or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.